The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Speedball Mike Bailey. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yes. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Dobbin here with the young boy, Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll review best of the Super Juniors 29 finals, preview Dominion, and cover all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. And click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level, and you can visit njpwext.us today for details. Jeremy, let me just start off by saying that when I ever watched New Japan World with anybody and they're not using the extension, I just think, ghetto. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> the first thing I think, I just think, like, you know, fucking scrub. Like, who watches... Who raw dogs New Japan World these days? You know what I'm saying? Right. How how can you watch New Japan Pro Wrestling without the NJPW EXT? Yeah. If I don't see EXT, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, let me uh, let's pull it up on, on my computer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, young boy, I know that you are a member of team njpw usa and so whoa, am i whoa, whoa 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 why you put my information out there like that you know privacy <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure you mentioned it on the show before i don't think i've ever told anybody on the show before i i definitely sent a picture of my lanyard when it came in to chris samson he was like you would <laughs> <laughs> well, what were you gonna say no, so you know, we get the thirty dollar uh, vouchers with that uh, membership. I was just curious, what did you uh, get with your uh, three uh, thirty dollars? 
Oh, I um, actually I can show it to you. It's right here. Bear with me one moment. I know that we're not doing a video podcast for everybody else, but this is for uh, Jeremy's eyes only. Bam. Nice. So I went ahead and got the uh, the white NJPW duffel bag with the New Japan of America logo printed on it, plus the uh, exclusive team NJPW USA logo <laughs> in the bottom corner. But, um, yeah, man, it's pretty pretty great quality, and I just figure, like, I actually thought it would be smaller. Uh, it's pretty good size, honestly. It's, like, too big for, like, the local gym. You know what I mean? Like, that's mm-hmm. not going to fit in a locker, but it's good, like, for maybe, like, a carry, like a, a larger carry-on bag for, like, travel. Um, or if I release the boots back up and I need a, a gear bag, that's probably the perfect size, so... I just can't go wrong walking into the uh, side side dojo with the uh, Shinihan logo on the bag. I don't know if it's side. Well, you know. Um, oh yeah, I forgot. The it's, uh, side dojo did merge with the Wrestle Lab, which is Jay Lethal's school. But like both of them seem to be retaining their own names. I don't understand what the deal is there. Um, all I know is that when I go back to the school. Uh, I'm gonna be grandfathered into the rate I was paying. (laughs) (laughs) Not gonna get uh, worked by Matt. (laughs) Yeah, it wouldn't be Matt. It would be uh, Jay Lethal, you know, Connor, and uh, fucking David Mercury. Mercury. Yeah, (laughs) dude's trying to work me. Uh, But yeah, no, I uh, that was like ninety dollars. Then you you know, we got thirty dollar vouchers, like sixty bucks plus shipping. I probably paid, paid like seventy something for it. Honestly, there's not much in the store that I really would want, but a nice travel bag like that seems to, you know, fit the bill. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. Uh, You know, I finally got my voucher uh, this past week. There was like a delay in like getting. I got mine like day one. Dude, it took a long time. Like, I, I, I call the the number like on the letter that comes with it. Like, call the <laughs> office and like email them. Like, trying to get my voucher. Uh, I finally got my voucher, and I was, I was looking through. And, you know, there was like I said, there was a whole ton that I really like. I was like, man, I really want this. But I ended up supporting our man Doki. Oh, <laughs> got, got that? Got that new Doki T-shirt? I thought you got the Doki pipe. The pipe's not on the Tokon Global Shop. It's only on the Japanese shop. Gotcha. Or maybe I would have gotten the pipe. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I would have gotten other than that is, like, there are some jackets and some hoodies that are really cool. And you've got one of them, like the 50th anniversary one, but they're they're all sold out already. So, yeah. like, it, that wouldn't work for me. But, uh, yeah. You know, the funny thing is they didn't give me a lanyard right away. It took a, I had to, like, basically, I think, call up Jeremy <laughs> <laughs> and be like, yo, where's my lanyard? They sent it out. And then they also, I didn't know they were going to do this, but they did they put an Okada buck in yours? Yeah. Okay, they put an Okada buck in mine, but I didn't know. And so I just, like, fucking ripped into the thing, and then I saw the yellow, and I was like, no. That was great. But, yeah, I've got this uh, lanyard, and, I mean, like, I can't see myself wearing it to the events, but I could definitely see myself, like, putting it in my pocket and then, like, being, like, walking up to the gift girl and being, like, here, here you go. And just like flashing it and putting it back in my pocket. Like I don't want it, I don't want to be that guy walking around with the lanyard so everybody can see that I'm the mark who paid fifty dollars annual to the company. But like I definitely want 
the voucher and I definitely want, you know, whatever else comes with this thing. Right. Hopefully. The, huh? The, right. The gifts that get the, the live show, the discounted ticket prices. Well, I mean, so far I haven't gotten any like notifications like that tickets are in your area and you get a discount, like nothing like that. I haven't been entered into any lotteries that I know of. So, I mean, this shit feels like a work. It feels like I paid them $50 <laughs> to give me a lanyard is what it feels like. Well, you got a $30 voucher. I guess to spend more money that I wouldn't have spent otherwise. Honestly, I only got this, that thing for myself because I was like, it's my birthday. Mm. That was like my rationale. Yeah. I mean, the bag looks pretty cool. I did think about that, but I was like, I really don't need another bag right now. So I just went ahead well, and got I, I kind of did. So that's why. Yeah. So, hey, it work, works out. <laughs> but we got a show to do, man. Yeah, uh, man. Lots of stuff to cover. First, we've got, um, you know, June has started. May has ended. We've got to do our wrestler of the month and match of the month. So, uh, young boy, let the listening audience know who our May wrestler of the month is. Yeah. So, you know, we uh, considered a few different individuals. Obviously, we had a few big shows at the beginning of the the month, and then uh, throughout the remainder, the majority of the month was taken up by Super Juniors. And, you know, it's one of those conundrums that happens every year where, you know, there's a couple big shows in the early part, like Dantaku, and then, you know, um, this year we had that uh, DC show. And you want to consider some of the, like, main roster people that are heavyweights, but, like, then they have to contend with whoever like killed it in super juniors. And this happens every year. And uh, this year is not immune to that. So, you know, without further ado, the the wrestler of the month is El Desperado. And that's based off the strength of all of his main events, him being the top performer in the company during the month of May, him having all the the best matches of the tournament and just kind of killing it. Funny thing about this two years ago, um, when he kind of had his first quote-unquote breakout tournament and he headlined the tournament uh, with Hiromu, a lot of people were calling for Desperado to be like the wrestler of the month. But the reality is, is he got outshun, outshined and outdone ev- almost every night by Hiromu. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, people didn't want to fess up to that. But I have a weird feeling that this year people are going to be like, oh, Hiromu won the tournament. He had a really great tournament. But, like, the reality is... Desperado is really the guy that like carried the uh, tournament. I, I don't know. Based on the reactions I've been seeing online, I think people might be in the Desperado camp and might have no you know issues with Desperado being named our wrestler of the month. Well, it's not based on uh, any sort of um, proclivity, you know, towards him as a, as a character or anything like that. It's not character work. It's based off of you know the opportunity and him seizing that, those opportunities. So you know he per capita had the best matches all month long. Period. Then for our May match of the month, it is the matchup between Tomohiro Ishii and Hiroshi Tanahashi for the vacant IWGP United States title that happened at Wrestling Dantaku at the beginning of the month. Uh, That match is currently one of the highest rated matches of the whole year for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and it was an incredible match in May, but it was a tough choice. We did have that incredible Best of Super Junior matchup with Robbie Eagles and El Phantasmo uh, towards the end of the tournament, which, again, that's like the second highest rated matchup of the whole year right now in New Japan. And both matches were excellent. Four very talented competitors, two great main events for those two great shows. But 
I think we were both just leaning a tad more towards Ishii and Tanahashi. That just absolutely killed it. And, you know, Tanahashi kind of slipped into that, that never gear, wrestled that more of a strong style match with Ishii. And Ishii was trying to do some of the classic ace style. And it was just a, a great uh, matchup and clash of style between those two guys. Yeah, I mean, this is a situation where it's 1A and 1B. I mean, if anybody else told me that their match of the month or even match of the year for New Japan this year was Eagles and uh, uh, ELP, I really wouldn't begrudge them whatsoever. I'd be like, yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, in this case, we just slightly leaned a little bit more towards Tanahashi and Ishii, but both matches were outstanding. I mean, really, really, really outstanding. So tough call. Yeah, I gave both matches the the coward's rating of uh, 4.75. But, yeah, both just super, super matches. Awesome. Well, now let's talk about the best of the Super Junior Finals that happened last Friday. So before the show, we had some news about wrestlers who were supposed to be on the show. Will Ospreay, Carl Anderson, and Tangaloa were all out of the show that happened on June 3rd. New Japan announced that Osprey has continued to recover from his kidney infection while Anderson tested positive for COVID-19 and had to uh, be quarantined. And then Tangaloa suffered a right knee injury, so they all got removed from the card. And then once the show started on Friday, we had uh, the ring announcer uh, tell us about the state of the IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Champion, rock hard Juice Robinson, uh, he was pulled from the show due to a bout with appendicitis. So at the top of the show, they announced a car change. Juice was supposed to take on Tomioka Hanma in a non-title match, but due to him being off the show, he was uh, replaced by Ray Oiwa. So we had Oiwa versus Hanma that opened up the show. Yeah, and I mean, it's pretty clear that the the real winner here is the fans of Hanma because this man was <laughs> definitely going to lose and now he's in the win column and that pushes him one step closer to his dream of holding some gold somewhere somehow uh, holding uh, KLPW it doesn't matter this man will hold it proudly whatever it is he would hold the 24-7 title proudly this man <laughs> you know he just wants gold but uh how, yeah, happy, um, how happy do you think he was when they were like uh, Juice is out. You're, you're winning tonight. <laughs> oh, he was like, he was probably stoked. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we got the Super Juniors uh, finals here from uh, Budokan Hall. And I got to tell you, before we jump into it, um, two things. Number one, attendance a little disappointing for this event, mm. even though we're in a pandemic era. I mean, considering what they've done in this building during this kind of era, this was pretty, dis- and considering what other companies have done, pretty disappointing. Um, and I think a lot of that falls on the strength of the card itself. You look at the card top to bottom, and it's essentially a one-match show, Hiromu and Desperado, which, you know, that match is a drawing match. It does well. It's done well in this exact building but at the same time, it's had support in the past. And, I mean, from my memory and my recollection, this has got to be one of the, like, weaker cards in this company's history for this building. And I don't think it's something that they should I – mean, granted, they do have Dominion coming up, so I get it. But in the past, Best of the Super Junior Finals, 
especially at this time of the year, has always been a pretty strong card. Not maybe like your A-level, but definitely a B-level card. And um, I think that they should have done more. Granted, they did have a few individuals that were out, but those individuals weren't going to be in major matches anyways. So it kind of feels like they sacrificed this show to maybe try and strengthen Dominion. And and hopefully that, you know, pays out for them. But this, these optics weren't really that great. Yeah. And the thing was, there was definitely some matches that could have been slated for the super junior finals to strengthen this card. You know, we've seen since we started the show, you know, super juniors used to be in a smaller building and they worked their way up to being able to do this Budokan hall show. And, you know, I, I think back to 2019 where you had, you know, Juice Robinson versus John Moxley on undercard. You had Jay White versus Tanahashi. You had all these uh, big matchups on the undercard leading to the Super Junior Final of Will Ospreay and Shingo Takagi. Like, that was just, like, a really super card, and they were still able to put on some great matches a week later for Dominion. Um, so, yeah, I do get, also, you, you want to save some stuff for Dominion. It's a really big show, and, you know, it's it's supposed to be the, you know, number two show of the year. And so I understand that, but at the same time, you're in Budokan Hall, and I know it's limited capacity, but they definitely probably could have put more people in that building had they had announced a card further ahead of time, and the card would have had some other matches supporting the Super Junior Final. Yeah, um, I totally agree. Um, So I, I don't know what needed to change there, but, I mean, you know, anybody with half a brain could tell you that just having this one final in a match that they've done repetitively time and time again, although it's definitely an appealing match, that alone is not going to be enough to draw a compelling audience to this type of building. It's just not, you know what I mean? They definitely needed to do, you know, give them a little support and have something that's a little sexier on the undercard just to kind of help promote the show. And they didn't do that. So, yeah. Well, let's uh, go through the card here and talk about the matches. So, like we mentioned, the show opened up with Tomioka Hanma defeating Rey Oiwa four minutes and 36 seconds. Easy work, my man Hanma. Kokashi, got this scrub out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not too uh, long with showing here. But Oiwa is definitely one of the young lines I have my eyes on. I think uh, he's kind of stood out to me between the current crop right now, but... Like I mentioned, quick little light work here, uh, opening matchup to get things going. Uh, so then after that, we had the team of Ace Austin, Alex Zane, L. Lindemann, and Wheeler, Utah, defeating Robbie Eagles, Yo, Clark Connors, and Teton at 6 minutes and 43 seconds. So we had um, several of the competitors that didn't make it to the finals matched up here in multi-man action. Short match, um, you know, obviously eight-man tag. This is kind of like your obligatory, you know, you guys didn't make the finals, but we're going to involve you in some way type of match. Uh, it is one of those things where when you look back years later, because we discussed this previously on other episodes, it is likely that some of these individuals will keep working with New Japan in capacities and – or maybe all of them do, but the reality is, is most of them will not be working in, uh, you know, a regular reoccurring capacity. 
So it, this might be one of those things where you look back years from now and be like, man, what a weird-looking match. Austin, <laughs> Zane, Lindemann, Utah, Eagles, Yo, Clark Connors, Teton. What a fucking mix, you know? Yeah. Um, the match itself was pretty fun. I mean, it didn't overstay its welcome. Very, very short, six minutes and 43 seconds. And, uh, you know, not to spoil anything if you haven't seen the show, but, uh, you know, this might be the last time we see the Zest friends ride together. Right, we'll talk about that angle uh, a little bit later on the show. But, yeah, fun, uh, fast-paced matchup here. Good to see these guys kind of get a little spotlight before the uh, tour ends. Uh, and Alex Zane picked up the win for his team. He hit the cinnamon twist, his uh, version of the spiral tap, onto Clark Connors to uh, get the win for his team. And at this point in the show, the, the announcers were still kind of putting over the Zest friends and wanting to see uh, Zane and Austin come back together as a team. Yeah, I wanted to see them go on a junior tag team title run, you know? Yeah, same here. The uh, the illustrious and uh, respected junior tag team titles. <laughs> uh, we have a question here from the Dark Soldier. He says, why is Yo such a freaking hoe? It's bad enough <laughs> he can't win or lose matches. I needed him to win and lose in the best of Super Juniors. But now Karen has no problem with Youngboy burying him when she guest starts at this rate. Interview Yo's mama, and she'll probably call him a hoe and wish that Doki was her son. I'm not going to add to that. This sounded more like just a rant than anything else. And, you know, well done, sir. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have much more to add to that. We agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Next match. Do you think the people want us to uh, talk about the, the issues with Yo again? I mean, I think we went pretty in depth last week on do, our do we need to talk about ways to fix him i mean again, another week like you know what i mean like yeah i mean I'm, at this I'm point how, how do you fix him at this point like i, I don't i don't know I, i'm not worried about it you know it's <laughs> just you know you have to focus on the things in life that you can control jeremy we are not in control of how bad or good yo is presented or booked and uh that's that, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not the booker. I'm not Kikuchi. I'm not Gato. <laughs> Thank you know. God you're not Kikuchi. <laughs> this would be a weird show. <laughs> I'd be like, how dare you? What did you do to my boy? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I'm not in the booker's room. So, yeah, we can't control the, the future of Yo. I mean, at, at this point, like, he's a fresh coat of paint. He, I, he needs to just go away, honestly, for, like, a long period of time, come back with a new gimmick, new character, and just kind of a new wrestling style. It's one of those things where, like, in a year, something changes and he ends up being awesome, and someone, like, comes on the show and they're like, fuck you guys, I was always right about, yo, you were always wrong. I'd be like, good, I'm glad. I hope I'm wrong about him, but as of right now, we prove, we, like, stand completely correct about every assertion and every um, judgment we've ever placed on this man. Like, he is a fucking no, so. Yeah. And he's never shown us otherwise. <laughs> so moving on to our next matchup here, we had the United Empire team of Francesco, Akira, and TJP. They defeated the current IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions, Team 6 or 9, Master Watto and Ritsuke Gucci at 6 minutes and 40, 47 seconds. Yeah, this was interesting because it seems like it's been a while since we've set up a junior tag team title match by having 
contenders defeat the champions in uh, a non-title match to set up their contendership. Um, that seemed to be like something that New Japan was doing on the regular in the past. And, you know, I'm used to guys just showing up and at the end of a match just being like, we challenge you. <laughs> we want to run it. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't do that here. They, they, they went a little old school. Um, you know, last uh, actually, we did a guest spot this past week on One Nation Radio. Did um, did that already air? Yeah, so that was this week's One Nation Radio that dropped uh, last night. So if you're subscribed on the Social Suplex Network feed, check out uh, One Nation Radio. We were on there with uh, Rich and James, kind of giving a recap of 2022 of New Japan, talking about Super Junior Finals and Dominion and uh, Forbidden Door. Yeah, kind of you know, prepping those who are uh, less initiated into the uh, the current product uh, to prepare them for the upcoming big shows. And one of the things I said on that show is I kind of drew illusions between the team of Akira and TJP and contrast them to six or nine. And what you kind of have there is like you have your senior, more experienced and plugged in individuals on both sides of the team, that being Taguchi and TJP. And then their protégés, who are definitely lower on the totem pole just in terms of booking, in terms of, um, you know, win-losses, that being Akira and uh, Awato. And that was kind of established in this year's Super Juniors tournament, just like with the point totals. But um, at the end of the day, those guys are still the future. And so you kind of have this, like, Jedi Padawan sort of setup. And, you know, one team is good, one team is bad, so they're kind of foils to one another. And uh, I think it is going to be interesting down the line what happens this match. There wasn't too much to sink your teeth into because, again, it was sub seven minutes. But uh, it was, you know, it wasn't egregiously bad or anything like that. It was fun. It was fine. Yeah, fun sub seven minute match. Um, I've really been digging Akira. I think him and TJP, it was the first time that they've teamed together. I thought they gelled really well together, had some cool double team moves. And the whole purpose of this match was to, like you mentioned, set up a future title match, which we'll talk about a little bit later on in the show. Um, but, yeah, fun stuff here. You know, one thought I had, and I was going to say it on the show, we recorded it Sunday, but I forgot to mention it. Are Rich and James the mythical, casual New Japan fans? <laughs> <laughs> like, they know the deal. Like, they know the characters. They know what's up. But, like, they only, like, come in for the big shows or, like, something that's, like, truly appealing. These are people who, like, used to watch every major show, and as time has gone on, like, their actual, like, viewership has dwindled, and maybe if the company gets hot again, they can draw them back. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that's the definition of the casual fan. Well, that's Richard James. <laughs> I think that's the One Nation Radio audience as a whole. Yeah, so it was a great, good thing we went on there to, you know, get people excited and caught up on what's going on. <laughs> Bro, we, we are ambassadors for the New Japan casual fan. <laughs> Oh man, uh, we did have a question here from Reddit user Key Director three seven four eight. He says, "I just found your podcast and really enjoyed your Best of Super Junior coverage. Along with keeping up with current episodes, I've decided to listen from the beginning to hear your thoughts. I started watching after Kawato left for excursion. You guys on your first few episodes were really fond of him. What did you think? What do you think is the biggest issue holding him back right now? I understand the gimmick is not great." 
but good wrestling will get you over. What else, if anything, has changed for him? Well, you know, it's one of those things where when you're watching a young lion, they're put in a very kind of controlled environment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they either excel or don't excel at the things that are given to them at that level. But you you can never truly fully tell how someone is going to do post-excursion when they come back. Because, you know, being given the task of facilitating all these different match types and styles and time lengths and, you know, getting a character over and working main events and, you know, being a, a comedy fall guy or whatever it is that they task you with, that's not really the goal or the aim of, like, a young lion. A lion, a lion's job is to be a young lion. And Harai Kawato was an incredible young lion. When we watched him, I mean, the company seemed so behind him. I mean, he was very, very fiery. He was, like, kind of like the, the guy that was um, underneath, like, Tanahashi and a lot of the Hantai guys in a certain sense. He was teaming with them very regularly. He had a lot of, like, amp and energy. And, you know, when we started this show, he was, like, the head of that class. You know what I mean? Right. And he was one of those young lions who were allowed to have a, a finishing move. He was doing that Trouble in Paradise uh, yeah. spin kick. He would be on those Lion Gate Project shows and main events against uh, indie guys from other promotions. Yeah, and since we, we've been doing our coverage uh, going back to 2017, there's a lot of guys that we were very impressed with that didn't work out. There's individuals that we didn't like that turned out to be better than we thought they were going to be. There's individuals who have been everything that we ever thought they'd be. So, I mean, you, you just never know. It's really hard to tell. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, there's still time. I mean, Kawato is is a young guy, and he's the company is still invested in him. But I think a lot, and we've covered this in other episodes, but um, his excursion to CMLL definitely didn't help. The pandemic definitely didn't help, and the the gimmick itself has also not helped. There seems to also be a confidence issue and maybe some sloppiness issues, or at least that was initially the case. Um, as time has moved on, especially over the last year and a half, um, Watto has really improved in ring and from a performance standpoint. So, I mean, we're not nearly as uh, down on him as we were during those initial, that initial year when he first came back or whatever, um, I, I don't think he's still maximized the potential that maybe we saw in him initially. Um, that still remains to be seen. I mean, who knows? There's plenty of wrestlers throughout history who have like started off maybe not that great and then improved and, and gotten over and made a name for themselves. And so, you know, maybe that could still happen. I don't know. Yeah, New Japan definitely didn't do many favors with this Master Watto gimmick, and even his debut where he just kind of came out and cut that promo, and he got jumped by Doki, who, you know, in kayfabe is one of the lowest guys on the totem pole and, and got beat up. Um, and then he did have the match with Doki, and, you know, it was pretty short, and he was able to kind of show off some of the high-flying stuff. And initially I was like, oh, wow, you know, he's doing all this cool high-flying stuff, but then the more he was in there longer and the more that he was having more singles matches, you kind of saw the holes in his game and you, you didn't see that very good wrestling that you saw as a young lion. Like you mentioned, there was some, it seemed like there was a confidence issue and we got a lot of botches and just a lot of uh, clunkiness in his matchups. But um, I definitely think a lot of that's tightened up. I thought the super juniors, he looked really good, 
there was none of those issues really in any of his matchups. And so I think he's going to continue to progress as he becomes more comfortable with this Master Watto gimmick. And who knows, down the line, maybe that gimmick gets changed and he can be positioned more as a, you know, top guy, main eventer. Um, but for now, I think, like you said, he's continuing to get better. He's continuing to learn. He's getting more comfortable each day. Yeah, I agree. Yo, you want to hear something funny? Hmm. Apollo got sent back to 2.0. He did? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I guess the gimmick didn't work. Wow. Incredible. Uh, we had a question here from Dom Homie 101. Is, is it me or does Francisco Akira need to hit up the local store for some proactive for his chest? Ooh, um, I'm not a dermatologist, so I'm going to steer away from that one. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, uh, tied to like acne related things or if it's just, I, I just assumed what was going on where that he was getting welted up because he's so fair skinned. Yeah. Taking all those chops. Yeah, again, yeah, we're, we're not doctors here, so we, we cannot, uh, you know, give Akira uh, advice on what he should or should not do with his skin. <laughs> All, there's the other alternative. He's on He's on the gas? He might be on the gas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so let's move on to the next matchup here. We had these. Francisco, you're looking pretty buff these days. <laughs> <laughs> you on the gas, brother? <laughs> Uh, we had the Suzuki team of Yoshinobu, Kanamaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. defeating the House of Torture team of Evil and Sho. They were accompanied with Dick Togo. Uh, they defeated them in four minutes and 56 seconds. Bro, I don't remember this match at all. Dude, very quick matchup. Obviously, this was a setup, a never open weight six man challenge. Kanamaru had beaten. Show quickly towards the end of the tournament, and uh, this time Saber submitted um, Show. Yeah, I mean, I can get, I can totally get forgetting it because it was a super quick matchup, and Saber pretty much tapped Show out pretty quickly in this match. Yeah, I'm like racking my brain. I'm like, did I just not pay attention? What what's going on? I I don't remember this at all. <laughs> it's yeah. weird. Obviously, I know that uh, the Dominion match is coming up, but I also think they'd sort of been setting that up. A- a little bit prior to this, or no? Um, or was it just this match? It was Kanamaru beating Show was kind of like the first like indicator okay. that he he did grab the belt after he beat Show. So that was yeah, like, I remember that. Yeah, but I don't remember this whatsoever. That's so weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, not much. We remember setting up a uh, never open weight six man title match coming up. Then we had the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, and El Fantasmo. They defeated the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Great Ocon, and Jeff Cobb. When uh, Towards the end of the match, we had Ace Austin coming down to the ring. He flashed uh, one of his uh, ace playing cards and uh, two-sweeted Hanare, which left ELP open to uh, hit the CR2 and pin Hanare. And get the win there. So Ace Austin now officially a member of Bullet Club after the sh- after the match. They're all too sweeting. He pulls up some cards. He has the Bullet Club logo on his uh, Ace cards, and yeah, he's now officially in the club. And Aaron Hanari is too, right? Well, I think you said they, you said they too sweeted. Well, so. he he threw up the too sweet at Aaron Hanari to to distract him. <laughs> You made it sound like these these men were out here too sweet, and then they, you know, and then they didn't let them in. 
<laughs> Do you remember when they did that to uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake in uh, WCW? For NWO, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, they were they were teasing the fourth man, and then they, like, brought him out at, like, Road Wild. And, like, I was like, oh, shit. Like, he's, like, Hulk Hogan's best buddy. He might be the guy. And then they beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not but quite no, what happened here. Yeah. No, not at all. Um, yeah, uh, fine match. I think it was mainly dominated primarily by the angle that you just kind of laid out there. And, um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, Alex Zane, member of the Bullet Club, another new member of the Bullet Club. A lot of members of this Bullet Club, a lot. <laughs> yeah, this group is expanding show by show, it, it seems like. And, yeah, it's kind of an interesting call here. We did have a question about this from uh, Les Commission 7252. It says, was it a bad move? For Alex Zane not to join Bullet Club with Ace Austin. I get that Alex Zane is a super hot Gaijin babyface in Japan at the moment. And another banger match of him and Austin would be amazing. But would it have been great for him and Austin to team up as Bullet Club's next junior division tag team behind Ishimori and Phantasmo? Well, um, I'll answer that question with a, another question. Why can't Ishimori and Phantasmo still continue to be the junior tag team of this team. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess it depends on how long Phantasmo is going to stay a junior. Obviously, he's campaigning to be in the G1, wants to be a heavyweight. Right. Um, but you also but, do have Chris Bay there also. Right. So you've got three juniors and now a fourth junior. Doesn't that seem like there's a lot of juniors in the Bullet Club right now? Yeah, and technically, you know, Show is still a part of the group, and he's a junior. Yep, that's five. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, and I mean, who knows? Yujiro, he cuts a couple pounds. There's <laughs> six. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Peter's under the limit. Seven. I mean, that's a lot, dude. <laughs> also, Gato. That's right, yeah. And Dick Togo. So they're... That's, they're, like, that's like nine juniors. They can do like a... This- they could do a eight, their own block <laughs> in a tournament with, with those guys. They could be. They could have their own. They could have a Bullet Club G one junior <laughs> like best of the best of the Bullet Club Super Juniors and just have their own people in that tournament and come out and see who's the winner. Um, and I say all that to basically just kind of highlight that like there's a lot of people in this group, and um, who knows how beneficial it'll be for either Alex Zane. Or, um, you know, Ace Austin, who has been initiated into the group. I think the real benefit and what they're aiming for is obviously they already have Chris Bay in the group in Impact. And now they have Ace Austin, who's already an established heel in uh, America with Impact Wrestling. So when he goes back, those two guys are going to be teaming together. We already uh, got word recently that due to um, schedule changes, like, Jay White's not going to be spending that much more time in Impact the way he has for the uh, previous year. Yeah. So that kind of means like the Bull Club uh, presence will be lacking. That's probably why they wanted to send out or uh, Ace Austin there. You know, and it, it this is kind of reminiscent to what New Japan was doing with the Bull Club back in the ROH days when they sort of had like a, a Ring of Honor, you know, sub brand of Bull Club. So uh, right. that's that's kind of how I see it. And it kind of, it kind of fits Jay White's storyline of wanting to have Bullet Club spread out across all promotions. Uh, so kind of building that, you know, impact version of Bullet Club. 
like you mentioned. I mean, I, I get that, but I'm uh, I think it's a little bit questionable too that, that putting Ace Austin in the Bullet Club. I mean, he did. I get he's a heel in Impact, so from that standpoint, it kind of makes sense. But he got over so well as a babyface on this tour, and I felt like him and Zayn were a great team. And I felt like those are two guys that you could have used as a junior tag team, and you could have used Ace Austin as a babyface in that division. Um, well, one thing I would argue against that is this the best time of the bullet club was when they had popular people in the group that's true yeah you know what i mean and i'm not saying that he is quite that level but i mean you compare him to some of the people that are already in the group and i mean i'm not trying to disparage people but i mean ujiro's not moving shirts you know what i mean right you know and i could probably name a few other members there's quite a few right now and maybe they're thinking like, hey, we've taken popular people, put them in this group, and they've done business in the past. Maybe that's the key. Uh, to me, it is a little bit of repetitive booking patterns that I'm not necessarily a big fan of. We'll talk about that more during the main event. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. I think that's the, the rationale here. My concern, I'm very bearish on all of this because we've seen how they've booked and handled the book club for the last nine years and there's so many people in this group right now and they've never shown the competency to handle this many like subunits and splits and civil wars and offshoots and you know across promotions now maybe they'll do it this time but um, history has shown otherwise so i know i know that there are fans out there who are very in favor of this, and I'm glad. I hope they're excited for things, but I personally, I've gotten my hopes up one too many times when it comes to quote-unquote bullet clubs stuff, and this just doesn't do much for me, and I am I just feel like it's uh, it's watering down the group by having so many people in it. Yeah, and you know we've talked about it on previous episodes about what a potential bullet club civil war would look like now, and, you know, I'm digging the, you know, Bullet Club versus G.O.D. feud. I'm not sure how. I'm not going to be really interested in, like, Bullet Club versus House of Torture. Like, I really don't want to see Jay White and Evil mix it up or, you know, show in whoever, uh, Phantasma or whatever. I was initially when Jay was, like, kind of, you know, spending most of his time in North America, and it was like, hey, he might come back. The group might turn babyface this is probably a direction that needs to happen because they're the, the group is so stale and house of torture at that time were sort of on top of the company. That's not really the case anymore. House of torture is like a very subordinated group within, right. you know, within the company. So, I mean, a civil war at this point would be, I don't think it would do that much business because it's kind of meaningless. And, the only way it would mean more is if they start pushing House of Torture, which is I don't I don't want that at all. So I don't know. Maybe they could just quietly split from one another like they did the first time when the elite <laughs> you left. Know, House of Torture. Oh, the House of Torture will go on the Jericho cruise and announce that they are no longer a part of the Bullet Club. That's Jay White's thing. We're not we're not part of them anymore. Also, we're starting our own company. <laughs> Uh, all torture wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> ATW. Uh, so moving on here to the next matchup, we had the LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Naito, who's returning from his uh, eye surgery. 
They defeated the Suzuki-gun team of Doki, Taichi, and Takamichi Noku, 9 minutes and 31 seconds. Also, the main focus here was between Shingo and Taichi as they have an upcoming KOPW provisional title match coming up at Dominion. That was the one thing on this show that they did do well is set up certain angles and matches for the upcoming Dominion card. That's always kind of a challenge when you've got best of the super juniors kind of occurring during that month and you don't have your, especially when a lot of the roster was in America for a good portion of this month as well. So you didn't have them working like undercard tags during the super juniors tournament or anything. So that is one thing they did well here. I was glad to see Naito back from injury. That was something we were very, uh, you know, the reports were precarious. They were making it sound like he'd be out for a prolonged or extended time. And he's going to be back for Dominion. He's going to be back for Forbidden Door, at least at, at the current rate that we're at now. So that's really good. And um, I am looking forward to the Tai Chi and Shingo match at Dominion. Um, we're not going to cover it now, but in the news, we did get the announcement stipulations. Yeah, so we'll talk about that when we talk about the Dominion card. And uh, something else I failed to mention before this match, we had the return of the Cole Skull Sonata coming oh, back yeah. from his orbital bone injury. Came to the ring, did a quick promo saying that he was challenging for the IWGP US title. Yeah, and he didn't name um, Juice Robinson, and that might be because of what we mentioned earlier on the, the show that he was out due to appendicitis. So his status might even still be in question. That's hard to really say at this current time. But uh, I noticed that Sonata didn't say, Juice, I want to wrestle you. He said, whoever the champion is, I'm coming for the title. And he didn't even mention Dominion specifically. So it was kind of one of those like vague sort of things. That's probably because Sonata doesn't watch a product. He has no idea who the champion is right now. He has no idea what the next show is. He's just like, all right, I'm, I'm coming out of the challenge. Who, who's the champ? I don't know. I don't care. Just I'll, I'll challenge the champion at the next show. Well, in all fairness, I watched the product, and I, there's been plenty of times where I've had to think to myself, wait, who is the, is it? Is it Will or is it Tanahashi or is it Mock? Who's got this belt right now? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, oh, um, Juice? Okay. I mean, at this point, can we officially say that the IWGP U.S. title is cursed? Bro, I said that from the moment I saw that. Ugly <laughs> as soon as I saw that belt, I was like, fuck, that thing is ugly, bro. Like, you know. Dude, I mean, these champions have, have been falling like flies, getting injured, getting sick. It's crazy. I mean, Ken, Kenny was the curse breaker, but after that, all bets were off. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so then after that uh, LIJ tag match, we had another tag match. Actually, with... actually, if you think of it this way, Kenny lost the belt to Jay White, right? Yeah. And then that started a feud between him and Cody, which directly led to All Elite Wrestling being born. So that curse reaches pretty far. You could say that the <laughs> IWGP United States title is directly responsible for AEW. Yeah, hey, it kickstarted things in the U.S. That's what they wanted, right? Yeah, they, they wanted a, a title to represent the company in the States. They're like, no, nah, we're going to just start another company in the States. Fuck all that. <laughs> uh, so the next matchup, we had uh, the Chaos team of Kazuchika Okada and Toriyano teaming up with Jado and Tamatanga. They defeated the Bull Club team of Doc Gallows, Gato, Jay White, and Taiji Ishimori. Um, and before this matchup started... 
uh, Jay White got on the mic and said, you know, um, Carl Anderson's not here and Jukes is not here, but I do have one surprise for you guys, and it was the return of Kenta. That was cool, but what was even cooler, did you see Giotto's new gear? Yeah, Giotto has his own uh, version of the G.O.D. gear. Yeah, going in on the gimmick, I'm all for it. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty good on him. So, yeah, so got the return of Kenta, Giotto, and G.O.D. gear. Like I mentioned, Okada, Yano, Giotto, and Tamatanga got the, the win for their team here, so... Setting up a lot of stuff there with the Okada J title match and the uh, Tamatanga never defense that's coming up. So, uh, yeah, fun multi-man match. Yeah, uh, seven undercard matches leading to the main event. Nothing went over ten minutes. So, I mean, very, very like choppy, like do 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 do. You know, nothing overstates welcome. Just fun, easy, quick, get in, get out. A lot of like uh, setting up, like we mentioned, uh, matches to preview for dominion and then also some returns, some surprises. So, you know, um, it wasn't all bad. There was some good things that happened on the show, but, uh, and as far as in ring quality, there is nothing that was like, go out of your way. You got to see this until the main event. Yeah. So the main event, the best of the super junior 29 finals between the a block winner Hiromu Takahashi and the B block winner El Esperado. So at 30 minutes and 37 seconds, the ticking time bomb Hiromu Takahashi defeats El Desperado and wins his fourth overall best of the Super Junior tournament, his third consecutive. Young boy, what are your thoughts on this matchup? I've seen a lot of uh, mixed opinions and a lot of people uh, kind of griping some complaints about the match. Uh, some people saying it's the best final they ever saw. What do you think? I think if you're saying that this is the best final you've ever seen, ever, I would challenge you to go back and rewatch some of the other finals. Namely, you could go back and rewatch the finals from two years ago when these two guys were in it, because that was a vastly superior match. You can go back and rewatch uh, Shingo and Will Ospreay. That was match of the year, the match of the year that that happened. You could go back and rewatch uh, Hiromu and Ishimori from Cork and Hall. Um, El Samurai versus Koji Kanemoto from 97 stands out to me. Um, the 98 final with uh, Dr. Wagner Jr. is another really, really great one. I mean, there's some like really stellar. You know, finals here, uh, right? Which we all, we reviewed here on the show during the pandemic. If you go back in the archive, the final countdown series, Josh and I, we went back and reviewed all the Super Junior finals that are on tape and went through them all. And yeah, they were some great finals, and definitely a ton of finals that were uh, better than this matchup here. Yeah, and even if you liked this match, just objectively. There's a lot of matches or final matches in the history of Best of the Super Juniors that overshadow this one, just, you know, objectively speaking. Um, but as far as the actual match itself, there I, I am a little critical of a few different things. Um, we've seen Hiromu and Desperado wrestle quite a bit in this tournament even many times, and they have such a long, impassioned, storied rivalry you know and i feel like there are those fans out there who are more invested in this feud than maybe say you or i mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that it's not one that's meaningful to us but i mean i say that to kind of indicate that 
this is kind of a really defining and meaningful feud for a lot of New Japan's like diehard and um, you know fans out there. I mean, I remember people waxing poetic and writing all these blogs and going on these long rants and you know kind of like drumming up the like supposed history and the meaning the lore the lore of Hiromu and Destiny you know what I mean (laughs) so for them to come back and do this match again after last year uh you know the the two times that they wrestled and then you know the um the match at Wrestle Kingdom and everything like that and this just kind of felt like a really big built-up moment even if um even if for me, I felt like it was a little bit too much of a, of a good thing. I was like, "Hey, at the end of the day, it's Desperado and Hiromu. It's in a big building. It's a, a Super Junior Final, and it, it's going to culminate the story in a major way." Then they went out there and they did a, a probably about two thirds, maybe even more of the match, where it was uh, a match where it was mainly all leg selling and limb work, which it just strayed so far from any match that I can recall these guys ever really having with each other, just the layout and being really confused. And I mean, I'm an old school wrestling fan. So if I'm telling you there's too much limb work, there's way too much limb work. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Now it did pick up at the end, which was great. But by the time that they started, they fell into a trap, Jeremy, what they fell into. And for some fans, I think this worked. I think it's always going to work with a, 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 pop, a segment of the population. There is this thing that I like to call the WWE house style big match finish. And you can look at, for instance, like a Rock Cena match or a Shawn Michaels um, Undertaker match where it's like, okay, it's the big stage, so we're going to break out all of our big moves and we're going to kick out of all of them. Yeah. And I think there's a time and place for that. And when it's done correctly, I definitely mark out for it. I think everybody does. But on this night, when most of the match was built around very slow, very methodical, and kind of boring legwork, and then in the last eight or nine minutes, it's just them hitting all of their signatures and hitting all of their finishers, then hitting all of their super finishers, and then kicking out of all of them. Um it felt inappropriate to be honest with you. And that's the best word I can probably describe because it's like, okay, that kind of finish probably was the right finish for, for a match that had been built over this many years, but you still in a vacuum have to lay the groundwork within the match. And that early stanza, that first two thirds was not, indicative of what we were going to get at the end it just it was a tale of two completely different matches it came from out of nowhere and then um i don't know if i'm really that high on both of them kicking out of each other's super finishers at that point anyways you know um i could see why some people were into it because they were they they both hit each other with uh you know despy hit him with the the double roll through pinche loco yeah and Hiromu kicked out, and then Hiromu hit him with the time bomb, too, and he kicked out. And I don't think anybody's ever kicked out of each other's moves in that way. But just imagine how much better that would have been had the first two-thirds of the match actually been very compelling and entertaining and, and 
kind of matched the tone and tenor of what we got in the tournament. And it, to, in my opinion, it really didn't. I was bored. And I mean, not like just kind of like, eh, this is okay. I was actively like, this fucking sucks. And then the last like nine minutes was enough for me to be like, okay, they turned it up. I don't know. It's a 30 minute match. I guess at the end of it, I'm going to give it four stars just out of respect, but it, maybe not, maybe like three and three quarters. And that's not me being like a, a me being too harsh. It, it wasn't good for the first two thirds. It, it really, it was slow. It really, Dude, really was. I absolutely agree with you a hundred percent watching the match. They had a very slow, like feeling out process in the beginning and then, like you mentioned, I just turned into um, Desperado just working on Hiromu's leg almost for about 20 minutes of, of the 30-minute match. Desperado pretty much worked on Hiromu's leg. In between, there was some dive and some other spots, but for the most part, it was um, Despi working on Hiromu's leg, Hiromu having to sell and come back, and um, Desperado getting several like near submissions on Hiromu. And then they transitioned into that final 10 minutes where they picked up, like you mentioned, there were several different uh, counters and reversals, which led into that closing stretch of Diadespi hitting that double pinche loco and making you think that he won there. Hiromu hitting the time bomb one, time bomb two. Um, and then ultimately, Hiromu, um, I think they're calling it a time bomb 2.5, uh, a modified version of the, the time bomb two he hit towards the end there to, to beat Desperado. But that, I thought he just hit him with the time bomb one again. Uh, I could be wrong though. I thought that's what he did. I don't know. I I get all his. I get that the dynamite plunger and and all of it kind of confused. To be honest though. Yeah, when I saw the gif that they shared on um, the New Japan World Twitter, they they called it the uh, time bomb two point five. Oh, so they're allowed to share gifts of New Japan? TV Asai <laughs> not going to take them down or anything? <laughs> uh. <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, the, the closing stretch was great, and like so that that's probably enough to kind of get it to that that notebook level. But man, so much of the work, like it was a slog watching this thing. Like especially bro. in this empty building, fans are still not allowed to cheer, and there's just so I've much. Kind of like I've kind of made peace with it, right? Like I haven't been. I was upset after watching, and I've been like a little bit like, okay, I'm not gonna think about it. Let's just put it out of our mind. Let's just move on. But now that we're talking about it, like I'm getting this like tied feeling in my gut again, where I'm like, ugh, like that fucking sucked. It sucked to watch two guys that I think have had some of the best junior matches over the past five years easily. And for them to to have this opportunity and go out there and produce that, I, I don't know what the logic was. I'm wondering, like, was someone hurt? You know, were they trying to like, I don't know, protect somebody because maybe they were injured or who laid out that match. It was fucking weird. Yeah, I mean, and I, I was disappointed. Desperado was our wrestler of the month. He was the MVP of the B block. He was having great match night after night through this whole tournament. Um, so you expect with this spotlight, you know, we mentioned last week the, the Wrestle Kingdom match we had this year. We felt like they held back and they didn't go full out on the Wrestle Kingdom match. But at this point, now the Wrestle Kingdom match is better than this match. Um, I would I would personally name this maybe since we've started doing the show the worst singles match these guys have had. Now, granted that it's still a high bar because I mean you've got like last year in the um, Super Juniors where they went to the draw, the thirty minute draw. You got the Wrestle Kingdom match from this year. You've got the uh, Super Junior Finals from um, the year prior. 
you also have their opening match from the start of that tournament. You also have the match that they had a couple years back where he pulled Despy's mask off. Every single one of those matches, in my opinion, is better than what we got here. So I don't know. Like, I, I can't imagine if you are the type. Here's, my, here's the only thing that makes sense to me. If you are the type of wrestling fan who says to yourself that the early part of the match never matters anyways, and you only get really geeked up for like the finish of a match. And that's like, you know, how it ends is going to be like the, the main catalyst for how you grade or judge or uh, derive your entertainment from a match. I could see why you would like this because the, the finish of it was fantastic. But for me, the finish felt hollow because the early part was so bad. I was like, why are you doing this? You didn't lay the groundwork to get to this level anyways. You know what I mean? Right. And you know, a lot of people, they want to complain about like Okada or Tanahashi matches that start slow. But I mean, if you watch those guys, I mean, everything they do in the Impeccable. beginning of the match is great work. Like you mentioned, it's laying the foundation to what's going to happen later on in the match, which is why their matches are always so great. Because the first ha- the first two thirds matters. Everything they did leads up to what happens in the closing stretch, which makes yeah. those matches, you know, four point seven five and five stars. Yeah, I'm I'm very disappointed. Like super, super, super disappointed by right. this. And on, uh, and on top of a subpar matchup, we had Hiromu winning his third tournament in a row, his fourth uh, overall. Um, you know, at this point. It's like, what are we doing here? I, like, Desperado was set up to win this. We've talked about how the, the division needs to stop being Hiromu and friends. They need to create other stars. They can't just rely on Hiromu. This was the perfect opportunity to elevate Desperado completely onto Hiromu's level by having him get the revenge, win uh, the Super Junior Finals, and beat Hiromu. And that would have elevated Desperado higher and at this point, it's like they're going back to Old Faithful, and they seem to have no plans to try and build anybody else up and just keep running the division behind Hiromu. Yeah, I've got a few other issues with it, too. Um, I think you do sometimes need to have the winner of a double block tournament come out of the same block as a champion and mix things up. Generally speaking, I think that's a bad idea, though, because you're typically taking a match that was presented in the tournament, and unless there was a lot of juice behind it, people aren't necessarily going to be clamoring to see that immediate rematch so soon after the tournament ends, and that's kind of what they did here. So if they were going to have uh, Hiromu win, I feel like I would have rather him have been in the opposite block of Ishimori instead of seeing him beat him on the, the block final night. That's right. my opinion. Yeah, what was the purpose of him beating Ishimori? Because I thought that was going to be like the scapegoat kind of thing of like, all right, he beat Ishimori, so he's going to get a title match down the line, so he doesn't need to win the whole tournament. But he beats the champion, and he wins the tournament. Um, so at this point, it's like, what, what was the whole point of doing that? They could have easily put Ishimori in the B block and built up a, a bigger match for these guys. Yeah, I mean, well, here's something that I find that you and I have fallen into year over year when it comes to super juniors. We typically think that they're setting up other potential challenges for that junior champion through their losses in the tournament, the same way they do in a G one. 
but I find that most years they typically drop the belt almost immediately right after the tournament. And so it's flawed logic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas in the G1, that's a lot rarer because the title shot isn't happening right away. It's happening months down the road. And I think we do this every year. We're like, who's getting a shot down the road at the champion? <laughs> and it, it almost never happens. Well, I think it's a little bit different because Hiromu actually made to the finals, though. Right. But, like, what I'm saying is if Hiromu made it to the finals and beat Ishimori, right, and then yeah. loses in the finals, he's only going to get a title shot against Ishimori provided he retains against Desperado, which rarely happens. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. And we do this every year. I think the booking of Super Juniors is a lot more parody-based than a, a G1 normally is, at least uh, the way that Gato books. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, is I echo the same sentiments you had. I mean, I think going into this tournament, if you told me what were the chances of Hiromu winning the block, I, I would have told you it's fairly high. If you asked me what the chances of him winning the whole tournament were, I would have put it at less than 20% because it just seems like overkill. It seems... Um, maybe not like a fresh or exciting uh, direction necessarily. Now I heard Dave Meltzer on observer radio kind of defend the um, decision here, but I've got to retort to it. I mean, his, his basic uh, answer to it was like the company is hurting right now and coming out of uh, a hurt period and trying to grow and, and regain an audience. So they're going to put their biggest, stars at the forefront and put their best foot forward i get that i do but i feel like that answer is something that you would only say if you're not watching the product which that him saying that tells me like he's a lot more disconnected from the product than he was maybe say a year or two ago because in my opinion number one hiromu is not the biggest star in the uh in 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 the division um desperado is um, now maybe he is still more popular. I don't know what metric we need to like look at to kind of prove it, but like Desperado is the guy right now, in my opinion, that has more upside from the way that they've been booking things. Um, the second thing too is like now that you have given him his four wins, he's set records. He he broke the record, you know, like and this is probably a record nobody else is going to ever beat. He also broke the consecutive wins record, so he set like two very important records. So that kind of puts him on like the Mount Rushmore of junior faces. You know, it's going to be like from here on out, it's like Liger, Tiger Mask, Fujinami, Hiromu Takahashi. You know, the other guy that might've been on there was maybe like Prince Devitt. He's gone, yeah. you know? Yeah. Koji Kenimoto, he's gone. It's Hiromu now. Um, so that's great. But where do you go from here? There is literally nothing left for him to do. And I got to tell you, I don't think the company is behind him enough to really do the whole heavyweight run thing because at the end of the day, Hiromu is still too short according to their internalized like standards. You know what I mean? Yeah. He doesn't have the frame or the build to really be uh, a super successful heavyweight guy. He has the charisma and the popularity and the star power to do it. I just don't think the company's ever going to actually do it. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. So I feel like you have basically put yourself in a position to where you can never go with this guy at the top as a junior again. 
And if from a year from now he's not really on that road to becoming a heavyweight, he's going to be in no man's land. You've booked yourself in a corner. It's the same story that we saw with Kushida before he went to America. And I feel like this is not a good direction for Romu personally. Yeah. You know, I, I, also, and I don't think the fans are, are receptive to it either. And that's not a good sign either. Yeah. I also heard uh, Dave's comments on observer radio and you know, he's kind of using the same logic that we use when we talk about Okada. Well, you know, the company's coming back rebounding from the pandemic. So they put the, the title on their number one draw and star and Okada when Okada was champ the last time the company was doing record business. So they went with Okada to do that. And I totally get the logic. You know, we totally agree with that logic on putting the belt on Okada. But I think it's a l- little bit hard to apply that logic to Hiromu because, I mean, Hiromu has not drawn the way that Okada has drawn. Like, Hiromu's never been put... Yes, he has been the top star of the junior division, but he's not put in situations where the whole card or whole show, you know, the whole tour is on his back. Like, Okada literally has been... The company's been put on his back, and he succeeded, and he's had to be in main events and fill, you know, be a draw for the Tokyo Dome and uh, all these big shows where Hiromu's just been that junior champion, great junior champion. He can sell out a cork in, but he's not been in that position where Okada having to draw out bigger buildings. Yeah, and it's not, uh, It's keep in mind, if you're a new listener or whoever you might be listening to us, this these are not like the opinions of Josh and Jeremy where we're like, fuck those juniors, you know, it's not like that. This is the logic of the company. The company has always told the viewers that the juniors are not as important as the heavyweights. You know what I mean? Right. This is this is based on their own internalized rules of booking, you know, and part of the whole quest, quote unquote, that Hiromu has is he wants to headline a Tokyo Dome as a junior, and that's never happened. So maybe maybe that will be the one good thing that hopefully comes out of this and I hope it does because I think that'd be incredible the other thing too I'd like to point out if Hiromu had been booked like Okada over the past few years in the sense what I mean by that is like kept away from the title kept away from winning the tournaments and then brought back as a redemption story and then was like oh man the old Hiromu's back and better than ever and he's going to carry the division. That would be exciting. But that's not the story we're getting here. His arc is very similar to the arc that we've seen over the past four years with Kota Ibushi. And look how how much that stifled his star to see the guy do the same thing over and over and over again. Repetition like that is not endearing to cultivating excitement and fresh stories for these for these characters. And seeing Hiromu, this was the complaint we had going into the tournament. We said, if he wins again, it's the same thing. It's him being on the outside, winning the tournament, having to regain the title, and then trying to carry the title through Wrestle Kingdom again. And we saw that this is the third time in a row. That's too many times for my liking, personally, period. Right, and I feel like they kind of in a way, kind of wasted a Hiromu Desperado match here. Because you mentioned, you know, Hiromu wants to main event a Tokyo Dome as junior champion. But at this point, like, what other junior is there that could be in that spot potentially to main event a Tokyo Dome with Hiromu? Like, I can't see any, like, Desperado, you would think, would be the guy. And, like, kind of blowing that match here, I can't see them 
going back to Hiromu Desperado for Tokyo Dome and have that being a main event on one of the nights. Okay, so let's do a little bit. Uh, let, let's back. Okay, so the one year where he didn't win the tournament was the year that Osprey beat Shingo, right? Yeah, 2019. And that's because he was hurt. Okay, so it was uh, Hiromu and Ishimori. Then the ne- next year it was Shingo and Osprey. Um, Osprey? Yep, 2019. Okay. And then the year after that, it was Hiromu and Despi. And then last year, it was Her- who did Hiromu beat last year? I don't Yo. even remember. <sighs> oh, yeah. That <laughs> happened, like, just in November. <laughs> yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, so through all of that, Shingo, he went to heavyweight. Osprey, he went to heavyweight. Yo, he's a hoe. So, <laughs> and, so you've got... Three main guys. You got Ishimori, you got Hiromu, and you got Despi. And those three guys have wrestled each other a plethora of times. In this five-year period, look at all the other stars that are out there that they could have put in these positions to be in a main event or, or be in a finals or even potentially win one. ELP, Dragon Lee. Eagles. Uh, Eagles. Uh, the list goes on and on. I mean, I'm, I'm show when he when he was good, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And there's a bunch of other names too besides just those guys. But that's just like four guys right there. Um, I do feel like doing this match again at the top um, is very short sighted, and I feel like they have missed out on opportunities to potentially catapult some of those other juniors. And create viable challengers and viable stars. And, and you know, it, it is kind of like a, a two-man race at this point. And coming out of this match, I don't know that I'm that excited to ever see another major Hiromu and Desperado match again. Yes, really. Same here. So yeah, I'm very this is I'm more disappointed in this match than I was with Yo and Hiromu. And I was pretty disappointed with that match too. So that's like two years in a row, or actually this technically the same grading year period for us where I'm disappointed by two super junior finals. Yeah, not, not a good look. Uh, we have some questions here. Uh, first from Reddit user, less commission seven, two, five, two. How does Hiromu winning the best super junior three years in a row differ than the possibility of Abushi winning the G one three years in a row. If he hadn't got injured, what fa- what fans mind Abushi winning like they did for Hiromu if he had won in 2021. I would have, and I, I'd be saying all the same things we're saying here. And I feel like if you go back in the audio, I was questioning why he was in the G one for four years in a row in the finals again. Yeah, it would be a total the exact same thing. Uh, question here from Ghost of Doc Gonzo. Doc Gonzo says, "While I love Hiromu, I really felt like this was Despi's time to win Super Juniors, and was a little disappointed." When Hiromu won again, if you guys had the book, who was your pick to win the Super Juniors have been? Um, probably Desperado, but I mean, it, it's a tough situation because personally, I wouldn't have necessarily had Desperado come off the, the title unless I was going to have him win the tournament. You know what I mean? Right. Because I feel, I feel like Ishimori carrying the belt creates a situation where show or ELP winning the title or winning the tournament becomes weird because they're all stable mates. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
So it, it kind of put them in a precarious situation from that standpoint. But uh, I, I definitely wouldn't have gone with Hiromu regardless. But, I mean, maybe they could have done something fun and exciting. Maybe Francesco Akira could have won it. You know what I mean? The, 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 the new upstart import guy. Or maybe ELP should have won it. I don't know. Yeah, I think I would have gone with ELP or Robbie Eagles in hindsight oh, being 2020. Yeah. I mean, I think that that should have been the final matchup. Like, yeah, and I, I want to apologize. I kept for I knew there was someone I was trying to remember to think of, and it was Eagles when I was talking about like guys that they should have made, yeah, and also guys that could have won this year's tournament. Eagles is easily amongst the top of that list too. Yeah, I mean, there's so much history, and we saw that play out in their awesome match that they had in Corkin. If you would have swapped one of those guys into a different block, like I would have done an ELP Robbie Eagles. Well, I guess that's kind of weird because you have two form stars uh, in the main event of finals. I guess they typically don't do that, but um, that's something I, I would have tried it and, and done an Eagles ELP, you know, finals, and I would have had one of those guys win it. Yeah, it just feels like there's a lot of really great names here, and going to Old Faithful once again is a little bit like superfluous. Like, why are we even doing the tournament to just wind up with the same results we get year over year? Right, and it's like, you know, we were stuck in this pandemic where we couldn't bring people in, so you kind of understand why you got to go with Hiromu and Despi and these guys. And But now the borders are opening up. We've got all this, these fresh new foreigners coming in, and we're going back to the same thing. It's like, then why do we even bring foreigners in if we're not gonna, you know, do something different? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm very. Yeah, I'm just. I'm, I'm disappointed. Yeah, uh, Dom Homie One Hundred One asks final thoughts on the best of Super Juniors. Who was a standout in the tournament? Which match was a standout match? Oh, okay. Um, just quick thoughts. This tournament was an easy watch. It was very fun. It was exciting to see all these. Uh, outsiders at the same time very even though overall the whole tournament was good i don't think it could i it could possibly be held to the same level as many of the other super junior tournaments that have occurred since this show's been running just due to the fact that like there were very few truly great matches in fact there's probably only one or two um out of you know a whole host of matches so that's a little disappointing um the good news it sounds like there's probably a lot of new fresh exciting talents and characters that might be returning to the company and that's definitely a good thing to freshen things up but um overall i would if i had to give this tournament a grade i'd probably go like c plus b minus something like that i think the um the the final results though definitely kind of put a little bit of a a a dark cloud over the tournament of yeah. <laughs> um and, and in terms of who's the standout of the tournament it's el desperado and the match of the tournament is robbie eagles versus el Fantasmo. yeah i agree with you you know if i had to give this tournament a, a star rating it'd probably be like three and three quarters maybe four uh stars for the whole tournament again um, it was a very good tournament. It was fun to watch. We got some fresh matchups. We got some fresh faces. Uh, but overall, it just it, you know crescendoed with a disappointing matchup and final. Um, I agree with you. We don't stand out being Desperado. He pretty much had a four-star match every night. And um, standout match, I agree with you. The, the Eagles, El Fantasma, Cork and Hall. 
uh, main event. If you have not watched that match, I definitely recommend go back and watch that match. That was the best match of the whole tournament. It's match of the year level worthy, and it's going to be on some lists this year. So uh, any other final thoughts on Super Junior Finals or Hiromu and Desperado? Nope. Let's keep it rolling. All right. So next up, we got to talk about the Big Dominion show coming up this Sunday, June 12th in Osaka, Joe Hall. We did have a couple questions here before we talk about the actual card. Uh, First from Mercury Rising 320. How do you feel about Bullet Club basically overshadowing Dominion by being in like 90% of the matches? And similar question from Dom Homie 101. Thoughts on the lineup for this year's Dominion? Will the Bullet Club reign on top or will they be denied? Will shots be fired back from the AEW side when it comes to the Forbidden Door? Um, As far as the Bullet Club stuff goes, I mean, I know I gave some overall like holistic thoughts about Bullet Club. Um, just the general booking of them long-term earlier on the show. But um, when it comes to this Dominion card, I mean, I think that it's very smart that they sort of have them as the highlight because the truth of the matter is while Jay White has been gone, they've been sort of a backseat kind of meandering faction. And now that he's here and now that Juice is kind of in the mix and they're holding gold, they did a really good job at uh, Dontaku establishing them as a reemerging dominant force going into Dominion. So it seems very logical to me that the theme of the show would be, you know, will they reign supreme or not? And there are a lot of times in New Japan's history where different teams at different or different factions at different periods, whether it's Chaos or whoever, uh, are very much you know, in the forefront of a particular show or card. And then, you know, you kind of see how that unfolds moving on to, you know, whatever's coming up after that show's over. So I think that that's all very logical and good. Plus bullet club is still the most recognizable and popular brand for new Japan when it comes to the West and the forbidden door is just around the corner. So there is intrigue as to it pertains to that group and how that might relate to the AEW connection. So, you know, um, Dom Homie 101 did ask about, like, people showing up from AEW. Uh, I do hope that they do because that would be, even if it's, I mean, I hope that individuals actually show up, but, I mean, there needs to be some sort of surprise, whether it's, like, a video message or uh, a call-out, something, because we're very close to that forbidden door pay-per-view is just a couple weeks away and we have very little established so far yeah i would really hope that we would get some kind of surprise appearance even if it's like a, a video message i am expecting something to happen at the end of the okada j white title match that whoever is going to face okada at forbidden door face the world champion at forbidden door would there would be a, a video message with the aw guy making a challenge um, I think they did. A, they have done a great job with this, you know, book club storyline leading into the show with the angles it did at Dontaku. And I think guys like Jay White and Juice Robinson um, kind of being at the forefront and Carl Anderson in New Japan, they, they have some interesting matchups for this show. And I thought they did a great kind of follow up from Dontaku. So I'm not overly like worried or concerned about, you know, this being a, a book club heavy show. Especially when, you know, most of the Bullet Club really have not been 
as bad as like House of Torture when it comes to cheating and being egregious in their matchups. So, yeah. So uh, let's uh, dive into this uh, Dominion card and uh, give some thoughts and predictions. So the show will open up with Team Six or Nine, Master Wato and Rizuka Taguchi teaming up with Hiroshi Tenzon, and they will take on the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare. Francisco Akira and TJP. Yeah, so I mean, um, you know, uh, it's pretty interesting from the standpoint that uh, this is the first uh, opportunity for gold that um, Francesco Akira has. Oh, this is not for the title. <laughs> nope, this is a six man preview match. Oh, that's right. Okay, so the title match is coming up during uh, New Japan Road. <laughs> yes, the road. <laughs> Yes, just road. Road to what? We don't know. Just road. Um, <laughs> no, but um, I guess that still plays into the story here. You know, um, Francesco Akira and TJP getting a, a title shot after Akira just kind of just waltzes into the company very early in his career. That's a, a kind of compelling there. Uh, Watto and Taguchi have held these titles for a bit. And this sort of a preview match for that. Uh, obviously, Tenzan teaming with... Um, Watto is sort of his other mentor. So you kind of have like Watto and his, uh, his two senseis, uh, taking on the United empire front. Um, Aaron Hanare, I don't know the whole thing with him, like being X and, you know, um, joining this group. He's really, really like, as the groups expanded, he's just kind of fallen more and more into like the pin eater role here. So, I mean, I don't know. They got Hanari on one side. They got Tenzin on another side. There's two very viable pin eaters. <laughs> My gut, if I were them, I would probably have United Empire win the match here just because Tenzin's the older guy and the more, um, you know, easily, like he can more easily like take a fall than anybody else. Plus it really establishes them at uh, United Empire as a, uh, dominant force and a threat to the title and then whether if they win then they've just like swept them like three times and if they lose the title match then you know it made them look credible coming in as challengers so either way i would probably have united empire win this match to really set the stage for that title uh shot later in the month yeah i agree with you uh i mean i, I know aaron hanares they've he's kind of been like he's at the pin eater but i think he's higher on the totem pole at this point than uh tenzon so I would definitely have uh, Hanare uh, pin Tenzon to get the win here. And I think this this should be a night where United Empire kind of rebounds. They've eaten a lot of losses lately. And I was, so I was thinking, you know, opening show here with a big, strong win would be good for that unit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the likely scenario. So in the second matchup, we'll have the Bull Club team of Ace Austin, El Fantasmo, and Taiji Ishimori. Taking on the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu Takahashi, and Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, um, the kind of interesting thing that's here, um, obviously Hiromu it has an upcoming um, title shot with Taiji Ishimori later in the month, which I am very disappointed in, again, that we're not getting an IWGP junior title match here at Dominion, I'm just so used to that being like the next thing that happens, and so that's kind of pushed back to another episode of New Japan Road. <laughs> but um, there was talk of Ace Austin and Hiromu Takahashi potentially, you know, facing off 
for the X division title in North America. Now that he's a member of Bullet Club, even though the, the primary point of this match is a preview for the, the IWGB junior title match that's coming up, I am curious about Ace Austin and Hiromu facing off on opposite sides. Yeah, I mean, that could potentially be trying to set something up for an X division title match. Maybe Hiromu gets the, the pin on Ace Austin, which uh, would lead to him getting a title shot down the line in the future for that. I think something else to look out for here in this match is just uh, the story of ELP's campaign to be in the G1 Climax this year. He did pin uh, Aaron Hanare in that multi-man match on the final show, so he's beaten a heavyweight. And so I'm not saying it's likely, but in some chance here, if Bull Club cheats and ELP ends up pinning a returning Katsuya Naito, that could be ELP's ticket to the G1, and you can put ELP and Naito in the same block, and Naito could get the, the win back then. Um, but if they are going to go with ELP as a heavyweight and try to get into the G1, having him pin Naito here would be a, a big way to do that. Yeah, and I mean, he doesn't even necessarily have to pin Naito, but if they have any sort of real meaningful interaction throughout the match or post-match or anything like that, that might be a tip of the hat as to their intentions to include um ELP in the G1. So, yeah, I think that's a, a great point and something to really pay attention to. Yeah, but I think the Bull Club team's going to get the win here. We got Bushi on the LIJ side. Screams pin eater to me. Yeah, I agree with you. The only thing is, um, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm just a big proponent of when people are challenging for titles, trying to make them look strong. But at the same time, it is a six-man tag. And it's very unlikely that Ishimori or Haruma are going to be picking up the pinfall considering who's in it. So you're probably, you're probably right. They'll probably have Bushi lose. And he'll probably lose to, like, Ace Austin or ELP, like, yeah. you know, most likely. Yeah. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So next up, we have Toro Yano versus Doc Gallows. And I guess it's a kind of building up from that uh, multi-man match that happened on the final show. Yeah, you know, Doc Gallows and Toro Yano, they actually do have quite a bit of history going back to, you know, um, the days when Gallows was previously in New Japan. And um, I don't know what to really make of this match. It's sort of like, you know... Carl Anderson's working the card and Gallus is there and we need someone from to wrestle. Let's throw Toriano in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this kind of feels like the prototypical Yano versus big man match, AKA the Davy boy Smith special. It'll probably just be like giant mean doc Gallows chasing Yano around Yano doing funny stuff and people being entertained. And um, don't be surprised if Yano wins. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking that I could totally see Doc Gals like kind of dominating, and then Yano pulls a, a quick roll up and gets the win. Yeah. Um, however, if they are looking at all to have a theme of Bullet Club looking dominant throughout the night, 
then they might just have, you know, Doc Gallows cheat to win or something like that. Yeah. Then after that, we have the never open weight six man tag team title match with the House of Torture, Evil, Show, and Yujiro Takahashi. They'll be defending their titles against the Suzuki Gun team of El Desperado, Yoshinobu Kanamaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. You know, um, coming out of Super Juniors, uh, Kanamaru is one of the guys that really raised his stock a lot for me during that tournament. And uh, this is probably one of the trios of Suzuki Goon that I could really get behind. And you know me, I'm always going to be in favor of, uh, <laughs> of uh, you know, Zach and Desperado and Kanamaru, those guys like holding gold. And if, if they can take that gold from Evil Show and you Jiro, all the better. But my gut here says that House of Torture is probably going to use their cheating melee ways and, uh, you know, retain here. Yeah, I definitely see House of Torture retaining. It's always kind of a double-edged sword when these guys are defending the titles because on one end, I would I usually want the other team to win just because it's against House of Torture. But if they do lose these never six-man titles, that opens them up to be in other divisions, other title matches. And so I kind of like right. these guys being stuck in this little never six-man corner. Let's keep them there towards the you know end of the card where they can just kind of do that know six man stuff and do their thing there and we don't have to worry about it leaking over into the main event or in the world title picture um so yeah. evil's like can i uh can i maybe like this year like go to a g1 finals you think that's not for you baby <laughs> yeah but I, I got these six man tags for you need you to hold these baby <laughs> hold these baby oh so yeah so i'm gonna go for house of torture uh, retaining here you know, the other thing, too, is, like, make no mistakes about it. This is not the Chaos Trio from last year where they're headlining Corkin after Corkin and doing, you know, 30-minute, you know, plus matches night after night after night. House of Torture, as six-man tag champions, they're working the undercards and just having quick little fun, you know, in egregious matches. And I mean, we, we can complain all we want day and night about all the cheating they do. But when it's just kind of contained to the never six-man division and these short matches, and those matches are already lawless as is. I mean, nobody's tagging. Referee's not counting anybody out. People are just in, in there for God knows how long, just running a train on someone in the corner. You know, it's whatever. Like, have at it. I don't really care. So uh, I'm fine with them being champions as long as it means that they're not, you know, show's not headlining the junior division. Evil's not, you know, campaigning you know, for a top spot, you know, so it's great. Yeah. So then following that, we'll have the IWGP heavyweight tag team title match, the champions, the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale in the crown jewel. Chase Owens will defend their titles against the United Empire team of the great Ocon and Jeff Cobb. Yeah. So during the preview show that we did uh, on Sunday, over on One Nation Radio, if you guys haven't listened again, check that out. You had mentioned that you thought because Okan and Cobb showed up on Dynamite and sort of the ongoing escalating things with Forbidden Door and potentially work with like FTR and maybe other people from uh, AEW, it might be a good idea 
to put the the titles back on the United Empire. And considering the fact that Fale and Chase Owens were kind of given these titles as sort of like an attaboy run, you know, thanks for staying in the country, um, I can totally see see that being the case because, I mean, I can't imagine Fale and Owens rolling into Chicago <laughs> representing the company in any sort of – I mean, who, who would you want to see Chase Owens and Fale wrestle from AEW? Nobody. Yeah, so, I mean – we got to do something here. I mean, AEW has by far one of the greatest tag team divisions in the history of wrestling. Just look at like, the, uh, maybe not from a booking standpoint, but look at the talent collection that they have there. It's just great team after great team after great team. And then you got Fale and Owens, which they're, they definitely improved, but I mean, that's not who I would send for, that's not going to sell tickets. Like, yeah, I definitely think um, Jeff Cobb and Ocon showing up on Dynamite's kind of the red hearing. What's going to happen here? And we did have a question about that from uh, Piero Poppy. He said, "Do you think UE's appearance on Dynamite is a giveaway that they are winning the IWGP Tag Belts at Dominion?" And yeah, I think that whole angle was this, we're going to get a you know IWGP champs first, the ROH champs FTR at the Forbidden Door pay per view in Chicago. So I do think uh, Cobb and Ocon will get the titles back here. And the whole thing here was they had the three-way match uh, earlier uh, last month where Fale and Chase, they pinned Goto and Yoshihashi. So they did not pin Cobb and Okan, who were the current champs at the time. So Cobb and Okan lost their belts without being pinned. So I think it's a good opportunity for them to, you know, in a a two-on-two situation to show the better team, get the belts back, and get those guys heated up to face FTR in Chicago. Yeah, the other thing, too, is, like, even if that wasn't part of it, just keeping with the kayfabe of the company, I would have assumed United Empire might win anyways, just because they're the more dominant tag team. They never got defeated directly by Fala and Owens. It was kind of a fluke thing to begin with. And my feeling at this point now is, like, if they win you can basically say that, say that they're two-time champions. So at, you know, that's something they love to do in New Japan is like the more times they held the titles, the more prestigious it is. And they can kind of go, now who knows, maybe they hot shot them um, to someone else in a couple months because that's what they like to do in this company. But if they did go on like a four to five or even six month title reign going into like January 4th, I wouldn't be surprised considering that it's Ocon and Cobb, two guys the company are very high on, and they don't maybe necessarily have big G1 plans for them or big Wrestle Kingdom plans directly set up right now, going on a dominant tag team run might not be a bad thing for those guys, and that would kind of revitalize the, the division a little bit too, so... Right, and Aussie Open hasn't been able to get into Japan yet. So while you're waiting on those guys, like, yeah, Heat, Khan, and Okab up, give them a title run because we know eventually Aussie Open is going to be coming to Japan and being that tag division, and you're not going to have you know two teams in the same faction really feuding over those titles. So eventually those belts will be going to Aussie Open. Uh, so the next matchup here, we have the uh, KOPW Provisional Title match with the champion Shingo Takagi defending against Taichi. So there was a uh, special presentation on YouTube uh, earlier this morning where Taichi and Shingo both presented their choices for the 
KOPW matchup on Dominion. So Tai Chi presented a no time limit, limited fi- limited finishers, 10 count match. And so in the press conference, he said to Shingo, I know you're an idiot, so I'll explain to you. The no time limit part means there isn't a limit on how long the match goes. Now, limited finishers, I pinned you for Gato Clutch, and you try to have your little get back on me with the ground Cobra. So that's fine. Only my Gato Clutch and your ground co- cro- your ground Cobra will count other moves, whether it's a Lariat, Brain Buster, or a DDT. You can't score a pin from. And the 10 count, whoever gets a total of 10 first wins. Then Shingo presented his idea, which was a 10-minute unlimited pinfall scramble match. And he said it's as simple as it can be. Whatever happens, 10 minutes to settle it. Last time we had no time limits and a 30 count. And I think in the opening moments of that, we took our time as a, at a little as a result. This time it isn't in the main event. And I think it's pretty appropriate to try and get the win in 10 minutes. Um, so that will be where you like a one, one count, two count, three count. You get as many counts as you can within the 10-minute time limit. Yeah, so let's break this down for the layman to just kind of make it a little more simple. Tai Chi's rule basically is that there's no time limit and you have to get to 10 count first to win. But you can only do it using your specialty finishing pinfall maneuver, which they both have one. Right. Meaning you can't hit someone with, like, let's say the... uh Blast the, the dragon. dragon, and then pin them. That won't count. It would only count if you hit them with an impact move and then put them in your signature pinfall finisher. Right, which, which would I, be the Gato Clutch for Taiji and the Ground Cobra for Shingo. Right. And then on Shingo's side of thing, it's just a 10-fall scramble match. Note, you know, um, basically whoever has the most pinfall counts by the end of the 10 minutes wins. So it's almost kind of like an Iron Man match, but it's not who can get the most three three fall wins. It's who can get the most pinfall counts within ten minutes. Period. Right. Which of, which can, of these two uh, stipulations are you voting for here? I think they're both interesting, and I think based off of um, you know what's funny, I I I know it's the second time we're bringing them up on the show, but like. Dave did not like their 30-count match, which I think he's fucking insane. Because that match really worked for me. I thought that match was awesome. Yeah, pretty much everybody else I've seen that's watched that match really enjoyed a 30-count match. I enjoyed a 30-count match. And again, it kind of shows to Dave of kind of where he's... He's not watching it. Yeah, or where his interest is with New Japan. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you can also tell by the way he rated uh, that AEW (laughs) (laughs) pay-per-view. Smoking rocks, but um, for me, I like the ten minute scramble match better, just because I'm I'm never a big fan of the type of match where you can only where you're limited to only winning with a finishing move. I've seen matches where they've done that, and it always seems to really disrupt the the logic and the natural progression of a match. I'm not a big fan of that, but a ten minute match where they're just going ball like basically like a high speed right stardom style match where they're just trying to like kill each other for 10 minutes yeah i like that a lot better yeah i voted already on on a twitter account for um the shingo stipulation that's what i want wait, to wait. see you you voted using the keeping it strong style account no for that? I, my account okay 
I was gonna say I was gonna be bad. I mean I would that's what I also would have voted, but I would like a, a, a say in the matter. <laughs> you want a chance to do it? <laughs> Not that I don't I don't want to be the one to do it, but I don't want you to just like act on my behalf, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm I'm all in on Chingo's idea. I think a really quick ten minute match between these two guys will be a ton of fun. These guys doing everything they can to get quick pinfalls and like I mentioned, similar to a high speed match and stardom could be a lot of fun. And uh, I don't do know. Don't go ahead. I don't know who I'm going to go with to to win this because you know we thought Tai Chi was going to go on a long run and got upset here by Shingo, and Shingo in the picking order is higher up than Tai Chi. Um, tai Chi needs to win so that Shingo can be free for the G1. I'm not saying Shingo is going to win the G1, but him heading into the G1 with a KOPW albatross around his neck is not a good look. Yeah, so yeah, I guess we'll give it a Tai Chi here to free Shingo up. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see Shingo retain. In the press conference, he did talk about wanting to have a championship title made and to really kind of redeem KOPW and make it something more. I would, I would love it if they just like got rid of the weird wonky rules where it's like it's a trophy and you're the provisional champion and then you're only the champion at the end of the year, but then it resets the stupid. Just make it a fucking belt and then just make the guys who. I think they should just retroactively award everybody that's held the title and and make them champions. You know what I mean? And just make it simple. Yeah, this is got too convoluted. <laughs> Fuck all that Okadaism. <laughs> also, um, do you think that the individuals of the International Wrestling Grand Prix Committee who sanction all this, have they ever considered the idea that maybe there are those individuals who are farming bots to sway the results of these elections? Mm, well, is the IWGP committee over KOPW? Because I don't think KOPW is an official <laughs> IWGP <laughs> trophy or title, whatever you want to call it. Do you it. think the KOPW committee is just chaos? <laughs> it's, it's, just like, <laughs> it's, it's just the chaos Okada's Okada's the president of it, but he makes no decisions. Like he created it, he's the president of the committee, and then like Yano's like the guy who's like making all all the calls on it. They're like uh, Rocky's, like so. um, Okada, like how are we going to decide what matches we're going to have? Just throw it on Twitter. (laughs) Have you ever considered? It doesn't matter. Just throw it on Twitter. Twitter. Like I'm busy, bro. Like God. Yeah, it's like, and you know what? We'll, we'll let the competitors pick the steps. We don't have to worry about none of that stuff. Like, they pick the steps, throw it out on Twitter, it'll, it'll be fine. Yeah, letting the inmates run the asylum. <laughs> Nothing can go wrong from that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Anyways, um, I am looking forward to this match, though, so. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So then following that, we will have the never openweight title match with the champion, Tamatonga, defending against Machine Gun, Carl Anderson. This match is um, very interesting for a lot of reasons. Number one, first title defense, Tamatonga, in his very first singles title reign ever. So, you know, there's that. Also, Carl Anderson is an individual who was, he's never held the never openweight title, but he was in the inaugural title match to crown the first champion when he faced off against Masatsu Tanaka in, what, 2010? Uh, I thought it was, wasn't it 2012? Something like that. Around that time. We, we, we did watch it as like the, one of the recommended matches. And it was a pretty good match. So, you know, a title that sort of eluded him throughout his career. Um, and then you kind of consider the history of Tamatonga, Carl Anderson, and it goes back to 
you know, the early days of the Bullet Club and even prior to that where Tamatonga was sort of like Carl Anderson's protege, his young boy, carried his bags, you know. And when Carl Anderson and, and Doc Gallows and those guys left, Tamatonga was so close to them that he almost left New Japan and went to WWE with them. You know, that's how close the bond and the tie was. And, you know, Carl Anderson gifted things like the gun stun and the magic killer to uh, Tamatonga. And they've maintained this close personal relationship until just recently where when, when uh, Guns and Gallows made their return to uh, New Japan, there was kind of a rift there because it's like, okay, are they coming back? Are they going to be part of the Bullet Club? who would be the like predominant team of Bullet Club at that point. And then we saw the face-off in Los Angeles last year with these two teams and all of the like inner turmoil between these teams on um, Twitter and on Tampa's Island. He's been like, you know, uh, disparaging Carl Anderson. They've kind of been working this angle for a very long time. And then on Impact, they were working matches against each other, and this all kind of led to the ousting of G.O.D. from the Bullet Club, which kind of catapulted um, Tamatonga to this singles run. And now, amongst all of that, Carl Anderson is back as a singles competitor in New Japan for the first time since, what, 2015, 2014? Yeah. And, you know, the the high the highlights of his career as a singles competitor all were in New Japan when he was in those 2012 2013 G1s against guys like you know Nakamura and Okada and Tanahashi and just having like low away matches and that's you know been a very long time ago but considering the history with these guys and considering everything here there's a lot to sort of unpack I believe that they might have a really really great contest. That's not to say that there probably won't still be bullet club shenanigans and a bullshit finish. I'm still expecting all of that (laughs) possibly being on the table, but in ring, there's no reason that they can't go out there and really do something special. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this match could be a lot of fun. The baby face turn of Tamatanga has worked greatly. The crowd is super invested in him. They're really Behind him and his brother Tangaloa and Jado in this feud against uh, Bullet Club. And like you mentioned, so much history here between Tamatanga and Carl Anderson. And, you know, you mentioned back in the day where Carl Anderson was in those G1s. And I think now, you know, he's in better physical shape than he was back then when he was having all those great matches with Okada and all those guys um, back during his first New Japan run. So he's in great shape. Tamatanga in great shape as well and so like I said I think that everything is aligned perfectly for these guys to have a really good match and I'm sure we'll probably get a Doc Gallows run in or you know maybe Jado comes out to fight him off and we get some interference between both groups but I think you know being at this position in the card very high up on the card here um, I, I think it's going to be a very good matchup and it's one where I could see going either way. Um, you know, this is the first defense of the title for Tamatanga, so I could see him having a uh, you know first successful defense, or they want to flip the belt to Carl Anderson. I mean, both these guys are popular in the United States, so it would make sense to send either one of these guys over to Forbidden Door as a never uh, open weight champion and do something with them there. Yeah, I totally agree, and 
you know, um, with Carl Anderson, he's a guy that his work is always solid. It's, he's a great hand, but he's never really seemed overly motivated since he left New Japan during his runs in, say, like WWE or Impact or on the Indies or anything like that. But um, New Japan, this is the company that really invested in him, you know, and uh, put him on, you know, the international map and really gave him his start. And he's always seemed to really kind of, um, like, revere the audience and revere that stage, revere that ring. And so for that reason, I think that there's a very good likelihood that he goes out there and really busts his ass, especially considering the personal relationship behind the scenes that him and Tamatonga have and the opportunity to kind of like take this guy that he helped bring up and sort of make him and really give him something meaningful at this stage, even if uh, even if he's going over, that is. Yeah, he's still gonna probably try and make Tamatonga look like a million bucks because he's in the middle of this hot run. So I think all in all, this is now. Could is there a possibility considering these two guys and their track records? Could they shit the bed? Shit the bed? Yes, that is always on the table. Could it be an overbooked mess just because it's Bullet Club and everything like that? That's always on the table as well. But I'm going to be optimistic here and think that these two guys are going to go in there very motivated and give us a pretty compelling match. Yeah, I mean, well, Tama's been on a hot streak. And even with the evil match, like, Tama performed very well in there and there was shenanigans there. And that was still end up being an entertaining yeah. match. And you look at Tama's G1 last year and just the great matches he was having there, just how you know how fired up he is as a, as a baby face and just how he's been trying really hard in this match and have been having really fun, entertaining matchups and some of the new stuff that he's been incorporating, that uh, superior flow uh, splash that he does, and just all the cool stuff that he's been doing. Like, he's on a hot run right now. And so, yeah, I expect both these guys to go out here, give it 100%, and to have a really good uh, Never Title match here. Awesome. So then uh, following that, we have the IWGP United States Heavyweight Title match, which is currently scheduled with the champion Juice Robinson defending against Sonata and Will Ospreay in a three-way match. But a lot of questions surrounding this match. Like we mentioned earlier in the show, Juice Robinson had appendicitis uh, last Friday. And so, you know, normally if you have to get your appendix removed, that requires surgery. Uh, so you wouldn't think that he'd be ready to wrestle uh, on Sunday. And then Will Ospreay has also still been recovering from his kidney Infection. He was he was pulled from the final show. So I mean, there's a possibility if he's still not 100, percent he could be pulled here. So we could end up in a situation just, where Sonata has to fight somebody else. <laughs> let me just um, give you the answer that everybody's looking for here with just two words: Cody Rhodes. <laughs> okay, Cody Rhodes went in there with a fucking torn peck off the bone. He beat that great competitor, Seth Rollins, <laughs> with one arm in a Hell in a Cell, a career-shortening match. It was inspiring. And it makes me feel like guys like CM Punk and uh, Will Ospreay, Juice Robinson, they're all pussies, you know? They don't have what the Coaster has deep down. They don't have the adrenaline in their soul. They don't have the adrenaline in their soul. Something, something, Cody Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Um, yeah, it's uh, at this point, I mean, 
who knows what's going to happen between now and Sunday. Um, this is going to air on Wednesday morning when you're probably listening to it. And, you know, if uh, history is any indication, as soon as we get off the air, we're probably going to get a, a breaking <laughs> news report about the, the, the state of the IWGB U.S. title. We're going to um, get that, uh, the, the black and white uh, New <laughs> Lion Mark logo, dude. Every time I see that black and white logo on my Twitter, I'm like, oh, crap, what's going on? Like, something bad's going down. Like, some announcement's happening. Like, somebody's yeah. sick. Somebody's hurt. Somebody's getting fined. <laughs> and they're like, join us next Sunday for the meet and greet. It's Tamatanga. And you're like, ah, oh, this is... This is <laughs> yeah no but um provided let's say this match does happen it is kind of interesting from a certain standpoint because like they were building up clearly to a sonata will osprey match there was uh, a story that was being built there during the new japan cup and it kind of felt like sonata was going to drop that belt to to will osprey potentially yeah but um now juice has the belt and Things have really changed since then, and, you know, Will Ospreay's in the middle of a storyline where he, you know, there's a conspiracy, he keeps getting screwed. Sonata's returning from injury. Maybe he's hot, maybe he's not. It's hard to tell because it's Sonata, and the reactions are so lukewarm. So I really don't know what to make of this match. I, the only thing I will say is, considering who's in it, it would probably be a pretty good match, although... Three-way matches don't happen that often in New Japan, so there's also that to take into consideration. And then um, I don't know who, who goes over. If you want my gut instinct, I think you just keep the title on Juice because he just got it. But um, who right. knows if he's even going to be in the match or not, or if Will is or Sonata or whatever. I have no idea. Right, and this this title desperately needs a long title reign. We've seen the belt flip-flop. I'll see part due to injuries and illness and you know all kinds of stuff happening uh but this belt tony khan working with meteorologists <laughs> to uh create tsunamis. Send a tsunami over yeah so we, we've seen this belt flip-flop a lot and it really needs a long stable title reign to give it some prestige and um just a st- why don't they why don't they do a uh interim title if, if he can't be there that day <laughs> well we'll talk about interim titles here in a second but um, you know, no. some TK, some big bicep Tony action. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, my 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 booking preference would be if Juice is healthy for him to retain, but I have this weird feeling that if he is healthy, that they're still going to flip the belt, and I could definitely see Will Osprey like finally winning this after all these you know months and months of him getting screwed out, I and mean, he's eaten a lot of the L's on big New Japan shows, so I could totally see them just having him win here because you know last time juice uh pretty much stole the win from osprey because osprey had his foot under the rope so i could see maybe osprey getting the win back like either stealing the pin from juice or somehow pinning juice where maybe juice's foot's under the rope this time and uh osprey gets the title they should do a dusty finish will osprey wins the title and you think everything's good and then the, the, the black and white line mark logo shows up on Twitter like the next day and be like, oh, the official referee was actually knocked out. Upon further review, we uh, reversed the decision. <laughs> <laughs> Juice Robinson is still the U.S. champion. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, who's my, my question is like, um, you know, Dave was talking about how they want to go with all the big stars. Why not? 
why not they put the title on the biggest star, the returning star, Sonata, the cold skull, you know? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> they could do that. Yeah, this one's kind of weird. It just feels like it's sort of at that point where there's these three guys, all of their trajectories are kind of converging as it pertains to the U.S. title, but there's not necessarily a direct correlative story for any of them. It's sort of like, which I'm fine with that at the same time. I mean, it, it's prize fighting, and they all want the same prize, so makes sense from that standpoint, but uh, it's not necessarily a really well-built match or anything like that. But. Yeah, it's a match where I feel like each guy kind of needs to win. Yeah, they're all in a, like, a situation. Well, I kind of think... I think Osprey is being so protected with these losses that it's fine if he keeps losing because the setback is or the comeback is going to be better than the setback. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so they're setting him up for something. But um, I think Juice is just retained. I think Sonata should know his role. Like you touch the gold, you fucked up, go back down the ladder, you know, go wrestle, you know, Oiwa. <laughs> Start with Oiwa and then we'll talk, you know, maybe you get a Fujita next. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> All right, let's talk some about some uh, interim titles here. So in a semi main event, we have a AEW World Title Eliminator match. So last Wednesday on AEW Dynamite, uh we had the AEW World Champion CM Punk teaming up with FTR. They defeated the uh Gun Club and um what's his name? Uh Max Caster in a opening six-man tag match. And after the match, CM Punk cut a promo and, you know, called out somebody from New Japan to challenge him for Forbidden Door. Out walks the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and it seems like we were going to get Hiroshi Tanahashi versus CM Punk. Uh, But then come Friday on AEW Rampage, CM Punk comes out, cuts a promo, said that he is hurt and has to um, get surgery. He broke something. People are speculating it's some kind of leg injury. So instead of king title we are going to get a aew interim world champion through this i think uh, it was his smile <laughs> he lost he lost a smile he uh, broke his smile <laughs> uh so we're gonna aew uh, interim world title here through this eliminator match series so on wednesday so by the time you're hearing this on wednesdays this wednesday's aew dynamite the show's gonna open up with a battle royal the winner of that battle royal will face John Moxley on Wednesday in the main event of Dynamite. Then the winner of that match will go to the Forbidden Door pay-per-view in Chicago. So here at Dominion, we're going to have Hiroshi Tanahashi facing off against Hiroki Goto. Then the winner of this match will then go to Chicago to meet the winner of the battle royal Moxley match that's happening on Dynamite. I'm very much looking forward to the AEW interim title match when it ends up being Orange Cassidy versus Hiroki Goto. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, man. A lot of people are seem to be excited about uh, Goto being in a world title opportunity. Goto quickly tweeting out, I want to go to America. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? I asked James Boyd off the air last week when we did our... Uh, running on one radio, I'm like, what if Goto shoots? Like this man's like, I'm going to the Forbidden Door. I'm going to be the AEW champion. Whether he, I- he sits down with Ace and he's like, 
we can do this one of two ways. <laughs> you want to work? We can work. If you shoot, I'll beat y'all. If, if you want to shoot, I'll beat your ass. <laughs> no, I believe in the ace. I think if Goto try to put, like play some funny stuff on him, like Tanahashi knows some hooks and some uh, some shoots that he doesn't know about, he hook his fucking leg or something. But um, all time. These these two individuals have wrestled each other 14 times since 2004. Do you want to know what the uh, the win loss record is here? I believe Goto's only won two. Goto has beaten Hiroshi Tanahashi three times. That means Tanahashi has beaten this man 11 times out of 14 <laughs> since 2004, bro. Tanahashi's owned this man. Yo, Goto is Tanahashi's bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm playing Chris Samson right now. Um, That means that Tanahashi has a career record winning percentage of 78.57% in all matches, singles, with Hiroki Goto. So, I mean, yeah. Um, I think that that's going to increase... Because Goto's definitely going to lose this match because there is no, you know. Now, if this was a real sport where unpredictable things could happen and a guy that you don't want to go through could win, you know, then maybe there'd be some intrigue here. But it's not. And we know that we're getting John Moxley versus Tanahashi or some version of something similar to that. But there's no way that the Forbidden Door is going to include an interim (laughs) AEW title match with Hiroki Goto attached to it in any way whatsoever so i mean the only thing we can hope for here is maybe a very good semi-main event with tanahashi and goto but uh even with that i don't, I don't know yeah i mean goto this man he's he's the one of the most failing failing this you know iwgp heavyweight title challengers and now he's getting an opportunity to, to fail to qualify for the aw world title oh yeah but these guys have good history good chemistry this should be um, a fun matchup here. And we have uh, tons of questions on this. Let's uh, run through these questions here. Also, uh, Ghost of Doc Gondo says, it seems like there is about a negative 12% chance that Hiroki Goto will defeat the ace and go on to fight for the AEW interim title. While I like Goto and all, isn't there anybody else Tanahashi could have faced that could have made you actually question who would win the match? Um, yes, I do think that... They should have like pulled someone else out. I think the issue though is that with all the injuries and the uh, people that haven't been able to even make the card, and then you kind of take a look at the the card top to bottom. I mean, if you pulled out like let's say a Zack Saber Jr. or something like that, you'd have to replace him with like a Doki or something. I don't know. It just kind of gets precarious. Yeah, they but- probably were looking around and they're just like, we don't have anybody else. Let's let's just pull out Goto, I guess. Yeah, the one other guy that's missing from the Dominion card that potentially could have been an option was uh, Tomohiro Ishii. But I think that he's probably still in America, and I think he's going to be in the Battle Royal. And I think he could end up winning that Battle Royal, and you get uh, Moxley versus Ishii uh, for the main event to uh, qualify for the Forbidden Door match. Minoru Suzuki's still in America too, right? I think so, yeah. So he could be in the Battle Royal also. He could he could be the guy that went to the Battle Royal and fights John Boxing in the main event as well. In fact, if I were going to... I think on the previous show, I posited the idea 
of Ishii being the guy, but if I was going to do the more marketable match, I would do Suzuki. Yeah, the only thing is that they've already done Suzuki and Mox in AEW, so if they had a chance, I think they would probably do Ishii. I forgot they did that. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did do that, didn't they? Yeah. But it was so short, wasn't it? Yeah, because it was like the main event of uh, Dynamite. But they also did like the, the Grand Slam tag match with Suzuki and Archer against Mox and Kingston. Um, yeah. You know what they should have done? They should have sent someone from AEW to Japan to wrestle Tanahashi. And then New Japan should have someone wrestling John Moxley. That's what they should do. That's mm. what would have been better. Yeah. Yeah, so you have like And I don't know I don't I don't know who that guy would be, but someone from AEW that could come over and lose to Tanahashi that like is semi credible. Yeah, so you you could have just did like Ishii and Mox in America and then Tanahashi versus uh I don't know, Hangman Page. Um that I don't think Hangman can take that loss, but I mean like maybe like Andrade. Mm, yeah, you know what I mean. Someone yeah. like that. I'm not. I don't. I don't know. Or or Billy Gunn, the, the rematch <laughs> everyone's been waiting for for years. <laughs> Why is that funny? To oh you? my gosh, Billy Gunn. Oh man. <laughs> no, but for real. Um, I'm I'm just trying to think of like someone who's like maybe enough of a name to like be in the match, but not. You know what I mean? What about Eddie Kingston? That he might be too much. That like I wouldn't send him. I, I actually I think Andrade might be like the perfect guy. You know he's kind of known to like the New Japan audience. It's not really a big deal necessarily in AEW, but like he's sort of a, a guy. He's a name. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or Lance Archer. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Archer would probably have been a good one because he also can play off of the the resurgence match. Yeah, one of those two, or I don't know, Pack, or I don't know, someone like that. You know, Brody King. I don't know. Yeah, but but we're not. We're getting Goto, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> A Hawaiian Punch BB says, "Is it time for Goto to put away his dreams of being IWGP Heavyweight Champion and start achieving his new goal of being AEW Champion? How should New Japan fans react if he won it? Tears of joy that he did it." or tears of laughter that he won this belt? I think I would have a mixture of both tears. Like, I would be laughing <laughs> and crying at the same time. <laughs> it would be so funny, dude. It, it would be pretty funny. Like, yeah, Hiroki Goto, interim AEW world champion. It would, it like, would be I, so funny that he would end up being the interim world champion, not the actual world champion. Yeah. <laughs> Dom Homie 101 asks, can the ace take over Conlan? Also, thoughts on this whole AEW world title situation. Is it possible for Tanahashi to miss the G1 to work AEW dates if Con goes with the ace as a champion? I think that that's the likely indicator that Tanahashi's probably not going to win the interim title because it's like the whole reason that if the, if the, um, I don't want to say reports if the uh, speculations are correct and the thing that's keeping 
CM Punk get out is like a foot injury, like a broken foot or something like that. That's probably going to be a short, based on what they believe. He's CM Punk's probably not going to be out that long, and that's kind of why they need an interim champion for now. But it's not like it's going to be like six months or you know whatever. So they're not going to turn around and put the title on a guy that's going to turn around and be in Japan for you know a month and a half doing a G1, <laughs> not defending the title. Um, so if they did go with Tanahashi, he probably would miss the G1, which, hey, he's been in so many of them, and he's at an age where, like, I don't know if doing a G1 is the best thing for him anyways, uh, considering, like, all the wear and tear that it puts on his body. Like, if anyone's deserving to, like, have a, a break, it's Hiroshi Tanahashi. So I'd be all, all in favor of that, but it's highly unlikely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Mox is going to be the interim champion. He already has indie dates booked during G1, so obviously Mox is not going to be the G1. He's not going to be in Japan, so it's probably just going to go to uh, Moxley. Here's, I know we're not an AEW podcast, but one thing that I think is interesting about the whole interim thing, Sammy Guevara was the interim AEW TNT champion, but his TNT title reign doesn't start until the day that he beat Cody Rhodes to unify the titles. So it's sort of like that interim title literally meant nothing according to their own historical records. It does make me wonder how they're going to handle the historical records of the quote-unquote interim title reign of whoever it is, whether it's John Moxley or Hiroshi Tanahashi, you know what I mean? Yeah, that that's a very interesting question because, yeah, essentially it's like, all right, didn't it happen? Does it matter <laughs> the way that they treated the TNT title? And, you know, based on what we've seen from real shoot sports like boxing and UFC, no, they rarely ever do. Yeah, so, and with Tony being a stats nerd and a sports fan, he probably wants to do it similar to how boxing and MMA does it, so. Maybe, yeah, this interim reigns, you know, 10 years from now, when we look back, and it probably won't even be there. <laughs> uh, next question's here from the Dark Soldier. He says, what's more likely to happen, a meteor crashing down on the Earth or Goto going to the Forbidden Door main event? Well, definitely a meteor crashing into the Earth, because I'm pretty sure small meteors hit the Earth all the time anyways. <laughs> and and Goto is not going to be the headline of any North American pay-per-view, and he's damn sure not touching a, a world title of any sort. Yeah, you, you know what Goto's spot's going to be? If they do some kind of interpromotional battle royal, That that's Goto's spot. Goto's spot is the spot that he has on his couch in, in his home <laughs> in Japan when he... Watches the show from the comfort of his own home. Dude, the funny thing, he wasn't on this Dominion card, so he's like, all right, I have a weekend off. This is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> the gate will call him up. <laughs> hey, brother. <laughs> what you doing on Sunday? <laughs> this man thought he had a weekend off. That's funny. Uh, he also asks, uh, with Punk and Tanahashi no longer happening, should Forbidden Door completely change his plans? Should Hook win the Battle Royal and beat Moxley? Then Doki forces himself in the Tanahashi Goto match to make it a triple threat. He wins, and then we have the dream match of Hook versus Doki for the AEW title. I don't think Hook can keep up with uh, Doki the master, so, you know. Doki would work circles around Hook. Hook's like Taz in his early days. Like, he just wrecks people because he can't work. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I like Hook. Yeah, He's cool. Hook's cool. All right, so let's uh, head to our main event here of Dominion for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. Our champion, Kazuchika Okada, the Rainmaker. He will defend the title against the Switchblade, Jay White. These guys have a three and one singles record with uh, Jay White holding more wins over Okada, but in championship matchups. Okada has defeated Jay in the one championship match they had, which was the 2019 Madison Square Garden match that we're both in attendance for. It's the big one, ladies and gentlemen, the one we've all been waiting for, Jay White versus Okada. So kind of looking through the history, I mean, just very briefly, you said they're 3-1. and one. Uh, The first year that they wrestled each other was in a G1 on the opening night. Um, the second match that I recall was the Wrestle Kingdom match where – Jay kind of beat him quickly, like in what, like under 15 minutes? Yeah, I think that was what, risking them 14. Okay. And then after Jay won the title, Okada beat him in Madison Square Garden. And then I think they had what, like one G1 match after all that? Yeah. And Jay beat him. Okay. So that's where we're at. So, um, yeah, man. I mean, this is, I'll just say it this way. These guys, in my opinion, always have. Uh, good to great matches. However, a lot of years have passed since the last truly major match between them, being that match in Madison Square Gardens. And, uh, you know, um, I just, I could see this being a really fantastic match. And we don't know this, but if hypothetically any kind of restrictions are lifted to allow for people to make noise, that would even make it more special uh, as far as the outcome of the match goes i'm leaning like 80 75 to 80% okada which is pretty heavy but there is the doubt in my mind that jay could win this just because it's jay white he hasn't touched the title in a long time um i can't see any other viable contenders on the roster that between now and wrestle kingdom would be viable um, threats to defeat Tana or defeat Okada for the title and carry it into the dome. But I think Jay white could be that guy to like win the title and carry it through the G one. And it would also probably be a pretty significant thing that could happen leading into the forbidden door, especially with, with like what we talked about bull club being such a hot brand in the States kind of revitalize that as well. Um, But at the end of the day, make no mistake about it, I am still, uh, you know, um, leaning a lot more towards Okada. I think Okada has the edge here and will probably win, but this is his biggest test, his biggest threat uh, during this iteration of of his title run. Yeah, this is the uh, most unpredictable IWGP World Heavyweight title match that we had this year. I think it's probably the most unpredictable one we'll have all year um again there's great um logic for either man winning here when i think about forbidden door look at the promotion like jay white is all over the promotions and commercials for forbidden door he showed up on dynamite to make the announcement about forbidden door with adam cole so i could easily see uh jay white 
defeating Okada, going into Forbidden Door as a champion and having a matchup with some AEW babyface that could easily happen. Um, or, you know, but we've been very strong on Okada holding on for this title and, you know, using that logic of, you know, New Japan, they're trying to recoup. And this is a, the right way to use this logic. Okada has been the guy that they made their most money with uh, before the pandemic. And so you need to recoup. You put the belt on him. I could see Okada, we've been saying it all year, him being a champion going into Wrestle Kingdom. Um, so, again, this is really a toss-up. I think either guy could win, but I'm going to stick with going with what I think of Okada going to uh, the Tokyo Dome as champion. Yeah, makes sense. I am excited for this match, though, um, regardless of the outcome. Um, I think both directions could be pretty exciting. And, um, you know, this is we're at that halfway point of the year where, you know, with Forbidden Door right around the corner and then the G1 just following that. I mean, this is kind of make or break for whoever's going to carry this title. I mean, because, you know, that that G1 season, historically speaking, at least for a decade, it's pretty rare that whoever goes through the um, G1 as champion drops that title prior to the Tokyo Dome. I mean, I know AJ Styles did to kind of set up a bigger title match in Okada and, uh, and Tanahashi, but aside from that, it's pretty rare. So chances are whoever is going into the G1 as champion is most likely going to also headline the Tokyo Dome as champion. And this is kind of be going to kind of be that like determinant match to establish that. Yeah. So this should be a great matchup, um, great main event. We're looking forward to it. These guys have great chemistry, like you mentioned. Always have a good, great match. So going to go with uh, Okada here. And, yeah, going to be a lot of uh, interesting scenarios coming out of this matchup. Uh, we had a question here from Les Commission 7252. He says, in my opinion, the last great Dominion pay-per-view was in 2018. So with Dominion coming up next week, what are your guys' favorite Dominion match or show? Uh, yeah, it's easy. 2018 is the greatest Dominion show of all time, and the main event is very likely the greatest match in the history of professional wrestling. So, yeah, I mean, that match, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, we were at the dojo, me, you, and Rich watching that two out of three false match with Okada and Kenny Omega. Um, yeah, that match was just absolutely incredible. One of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen. Um, uh, in my history of watching wrestling. So definitely has to be that. So uh, following Dominion, we're going to have New Japan Road coming up. So there's a show on the 18th. Nothing is currently announced for that. Then on the 20th, we'll be in Corkin Hall and the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles will be on the line. Six or nine will defend against the United Empire team of Francisco Akira and TJP. And then on the 21st, also in Corkin Hall, the IWGP heavyweight title will be on the line. Taiji Ishimori will defend the title against Hiromu Takahashi. Uh, Dom Homie 101 asks, thoughts on the best Super Junior winner in Hiromu Takahashi not getting his title shot at Dominion? Ah, uh, gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, I already kind of shared my thoughts on that. I'm, I'm disappointed by it. I will tell you this much. Um, I'm worried that they might have Ishimori retain so that so that Takahashi can chase because you know if 
by that logic, they would say, like, okay, we established him as, like, the top guy, but now he needs to, like, go after the title. You know what I mean? He's not ready to win it. Yeah. And if they do that, I'm just going to be like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, you had this guy, like, win the, the best Super Juniors tournament, but he doesn't win the title. So, like, they need to have him win the belt at this point. Like, you went this far with it, you might as well pull the trigger. But um, I, I'm not a fan of really, honestly, either of these matches happening on quote-unquote road. And I don't know how jazzed I am for New Japan Road on the 18th, 20th, and 21st, really. Yeah, it's kind of weird that they didn't go putting these on Dominion. I, d- I did see the Hiromu press conference, and he said he was excited that this is happening in Corrigan Hall, and he's happy it's happening in Corrigan Hall, which uh, doesn't make quite sense to me. You should want it in the, in the bigger building on the bigger stage. Um, so, yeah, kind of a, a step back here for the junior title. The only thing that might be some solace is that Ishimori and Hiromu's first match was in Corrigan Hall, and that mm. was by far the best match they've ever had. And with them being in the main event, that affords them more spotlight and time to do what they might want to do as opposed to being, like, third from the top, you know, on Dominion. But that, at the same time, I agree. I think the, the having the junior title as a main focal point of one of the biggest shows of the year is very important, and they, I, I don't like this at all. Yeah. But I think is going to win, and I think uh, United Empire are going to win the titles. Yeah, I'll probably, yeah, I think Karomu, yeah, we'll get new uh, junior tag champs. So um, we're going to jump into New Japan Strong, but since we're going to do that, I know it's not time for the news. There is some breaking news related to New Japan Strong. Do you want to hear this? New tag team titles? Yes. So um, did you already have that in the news? No, but I saw it as the show was going on. I was going to bring it up later. Okay, gotcha. So. New Japan Strong Ignition Tour is coming up, and they are—they have just announced, as of this evening, an eight-team single elimination tournament to decide the first champions, and it will begin at New Japan Strong Ignition. And, uh, yeah, the, the tag team title designs, it's the same belt design as the Strong Openweight title, except this time the, the plates are silver and the strap is blue, very blue. And it says... So, Tag champion instead of yeah, <laughs> yeah it says tag team champions. So whatever. Yeah, we weren't very too creative to design there, but uh, pretty cool that Strong is getting um, finally getting tag team titles. They've been teased for a long time now uh, of them getting tag team belts, and I think it makes sense with the way that the roster is growing. Um, you have West Coast Wrecking Crew, a, a top team on there. You have several teams on there um, with really nothing to do and. No plans for them to go, go to Japan yet, so I think it's a good way to kind of build the tag division on strong. What do you think? You asked me who's going to win? No, what do you think about them doing tag team titles? Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time coming, so, I mean, um, it's probably, like, overdue at the same time. I mean, aside from, like, West Coast Wrecking Crew, I can't really picture who exactly should be the first inaugural champions. I guess... uh once we see the field of competitors come out, it'll be, you know, uh, a little easier to like cross, uh, to kind of like decide who I think maybe will win those belts. I don't know. Yeah, without seeing a bracket, I would say either West Coast Wrecking Crew or Aussie Open. Who won the last tournament? Was it Good Brothers? Yeah, Good Brothers won that tag team turbulence or Tormo, whatever that was. Yeah. So they should like 
come back in with a buy for the tournament, right? <laughs> they should, yeah. <laughs> uh, so New Japan Strong this past uh, Saturday, June 4th, we had the conclusion of the Mutiny Tour. We had uh, Kita and Yuya Mora defeating Kevin Blackwood and Lucas Riley, 8 minutes and 33 seconds. We had the Bull Club team of Chris Bay and El Fantasmo defeating Alex Zane and the Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels, 9.58. And then the main event, we had Tomohiro Ishii defeating Big Demo, 13 minutes and 2 seconds. I thought the opener was the best match on this uh, evening's card. I uh, really dug all four guys and the work they did. I liked the post-match promo where Lucas Riley cut like your white meat baby face. Like, we tried our best. We're going to come back stronger. And then, like, you know, at the end of it, he's like, right, Kevin? And Kevin's like, no, you <laughs> lost. I didn't lose. Yeah, he's like, I've been undefeated before on strong. And now, now it's lost on my record. He's like, no, like, I'm done teaming with you. <laughs> like, bro, that's your fault. I didn't lose. You lost. Fucking <laughs> Um The Chris Bay, El Fantasmo against Zane and Daniels match was interesting because remember all those things I've said in the past about, like, Zane looking like he couldn't keep up and looking like he was kind of, like, sloppy and botchy and blah, blah, blah. That was on display in this match again. And I'm like, this is not the same guy I'm seeing in the best Super Juniors tournament. So kind of thrown off by that a little bit. But uh, this was obviously pre-taped a long time ago. But, yeah, I, I wasn't blown away by that match. And then the main event, Ishii and Demo, some good hard-hitting action. But for the most part, this was a very low-end Ishii mm. match. And I think Big Demo is a lot to blame there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I didn't dig this main event much. Yeah, this is one of those kind of like, you know, the quote-unquote in Ishii indie matches where like he's going to do kind of his highlights and it's not, you know, one of those great, great Ishii matches we get. Um, but, to be, you know, to be fair, it's not really Ishii's fault. I do think it's on a lot on Big Demo. Uh, I don't really think the crowd was really behind him. Um, and only it was 13 minutes. And I said last week, you know, if you can't have a, a great match with Ishii, you probably... Shouldn't be here. I mean, we've seen this is the second time we've seen Demo on Strong. Really haven't been blown away by either uh, matchup here. So if I'm them, I'm kind of cutting bait here, and I'm not gonna keep bringing back Big Demo. So then we have the uh, first night of the Collision Tour of New Japan Strong coming up this Saturday, June 11th. Uh, this happened in Philadelphia. So on night one, the main event, we're gonna have a big ten man tag here. Uh, Jay White, Juice Robinson, Doc Gals, Carl Anderson, and Hikaleo will take on Tomohiro Ishii, Chuck Taylor, Rocky Romero, Masker Dorada, and Ren Narita. QT Marshall will take on Carl Fredericks, and then Killer Cross will take on Yuya Uemura. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not excited for uh, Killer Cross to come back. And as much as I like QT, I mean, I don't know, him and Carl Fredericks, I guess. That's been building for a while, so hopefully that's good. I don't know. Yeah, kind of a random episode of Strong here, um, but but it should be fun. Yeah, uh, cast member Chuck Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's go into the news. Uh, so for the first time ever, NJPW and Stardom are going to be holding a joint event together. Right. <laughs> Hold up, stop. What? Podcast over. I, I'm not covering that. Okay. I have a thing. It's called uh, 
journalistic integrity and I hold to a certain standard. I'm not going to be covering stardom matches on this show, period, period. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll have, we'll have to bring in uh, Dr. Joshi uh, James for that. But, yes, uh, New Japan and stardom, we're going to bring a special event that will be held at the Ariaki Arena in Tokyo on Sunday, November 20th. Also, we know Bushi Road is the parent company for both New Japan and Stardom, and this was announced during a press conference this past Monday, celebrating 15 years of Bushi Road. Press conference was attended by Hiroshi Tanahashi, the great Okan, Mayu Iwatani, and Starlight Kid. Uh, NBSPR says, LMAO, I desperately want to know Young Boy's dream intergender match to take place on the Cerulean Blue. Oh, very easy. Um, the the whoever is the red belt who's the red belt champion? Uh, I think it's still Shuri. Okay, Shuri versus Kazushko Kata, champion versus champion. This is to decide the best person who is a wrestler in the world. Period. That match is actually probably pretty fire. <laughs> yeah, and I'd also like to see Okada show up as what is it, the World of Stardom champion? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I want to see Okada. Walks into whatever buildings they run with that red belt, being like, "I am your champion." Mayu, <laughs> holist rainmaker, Tam, holist tombstone. <laughs> I would, I would add to the bit, but I don't know the names. Oh, Julia, yeah, hold, hold this money clip. Hold this money clip. <laughs> oh, speaking of, I don't want to give away spoilers. I saw a gif of something very cool that Julia did recently, but I don't. I don't know enough to, I don't want to spoil anything, so I, I, I don't want to give it away. Uh, then Oscar Rooney on Twitter says, NJPW this year will or has worked with Noah, All Japan, AEW, and now Stardom. Will we see more crossover shows? DT, Dragon Gate. I mean, I don't know about those two in particular, but I mean, anything's possible. And I mean, it's been pretty cool and exciting that they're doing these, so. Yeah, I think it's a pretty big deal. I mean, we've been seeing um, some stardom matches happen at some New Japan shows. We've seen some matches at Wrestle Kingdom. So, obviously, it makes a ton of sense with both of these being Bushi Road promotions. And I know with the 50th year anniversary, Obari did say at the beginning of the year, we're going to get more crossover. We're going to get some more dream matches. So, potentially, yeah, I mean, who knows? A DET or Dragon Gate show could happen at some point later this year. Um and okay, you mentioned they were all Japan, Noah, some of their other competitors. So those could happen. But yeah, working with Stardom makes a ton of sense. Brother sister promotion, uh, joint show. It's, I think it could be a lot of fun. Stardom is the one promotion that has grown a ton during the pandemic, um, which a lot of promotions haven't really been doing. And so, especially in Japan, so they have a lot of momentum right now. So with New Japan kind of picking things back up, I think November is going to be a great time to have that big crossover show. Nice. Uh, so a statement released on the New Japan website. New Japan announced that after consideration, Ibushi, Obari, and Kikuchi, who was never mentioned by name, would receive a 10% reduction in pay for July 2022 through September 2022. Additionally, Kikuchi, who was only announced as the official, will be transferred to a different position within the company. Kikuchi had served as the uh, as Gato's uh, primary assistant in the, the booking. Uh, not according, not according to some reports. Some people say he he sees all the oversight of the big picture things, right? Right. Some some people would say that Gato is the assistant to Kikuchi. <laughs> 
So, uh, any any thoughts here on this uh, fine here for uh, Bushi, Obari, and Kikuchi? Uh, I mean, I think it's significant that there's a shakeup to the booking committee. I mean, this is a little lower end than some of the scenarios that we thought could potentially be playing out, depending on uh, who you believe. Uh, but, I mean, it's kind of funny. It's like, uh, Abushi, we're, we're docking you 10% pay for a few months. And he's like, fuck you guys. You, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm never coming back to work for you. Like, so it, it still remains to be seen if this guy's like even going to like make peace with them or if they're able to make peace with him or resolve the situation. And I mean, I, I'm, you know, being a little jovial here, but it's, it's not a, a laughing matter. It is a very serious situation between them and it goes way beyond just, uh, you know, wrestling politics. It, go, it delves into the very personal uh, matters and dealings of uh, Abushi and his family life. So, I don't know what's going to happen with that situation. I guess, you know, as they like to say, let's see how it plays out. Yeah, Bush did tweet today. He asked if anybody knows how to make a five-sided ring or a three-sided ring. So what the fuck? <laughs> I think this man is getting ready to start back up the Bushi Institute and start his own promotion. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, it's like Kenny did it. <laughs> Golden Star Wrestling. <laughs> Oh, man. In other news, we have uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer Negro Casas will be making his New Japan Strong debut on June 19th, a part of the Ignition Tour. He'll be teaming up with Adrian Quest and Lucas Riley in a trios match. They'll be facing off against Mascot Arata, Ren Narita, and David Finley. Yeah, they're going to be losing, teaming <laughs> up with Adrian Quest and Lucas Riley. See ya, Negro Casas. <laughs> Yeah, then give him the strongest partners here. Yo, um, <laughs> this one time, have you ever seen that that famous clip of John Jones where he didn't know the word negro in Spanish is Spanish for black? Yeah. Uh, you Wait, you've seen that clip? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> if you guys have never seen the clip of John Jones in, in the store looking at jeans that are labeled negro, Go look for it. It is comedic gold. <laughs> um, other news, Kazuchika Okada and his wife and well-known actress Zuku Memori announced that they will have their first child in August. And Okada teased that he might take some time off after that. So that will be right um, the end of the G1. Yeah, that's another thing, too, is like if he is planning to take time off, is that going to have any bearings on the outcome of Sunday's match? Could be, yeah. Uh, also, congratulations. Uh, this Thursday on Access TV, they will be airing top matches from Capital Collision, so the IWGP US four-way match and the JY Okada tag match will air Thursday on Access after Impact Wrestling. Then a special training camp will take place from the LA Dojo on Friday, June 24th. Katsuri Shibata and Hiroshi Tanahashi will lead a pair of seminars on the day, giving wrestlers with some experience a chance to improve their game and learn from a pair of NJPW's all-time greats. Young boy, are you going to the LA Dojo to try out for this? No. <laughs> that would be really cool, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, last two things here. We have some uh, excursion matchups coming up with Yota Suji taking on Francisco Akira 
at a promotion called SAJ at their Year Zero event, uh, June 25th, 2022. It looked like that's taking place in Italy. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. That must must be one of Akira's, I guess, home promotions in Italy. Um, And then Alex Coughlin will be making his debut for PCW Ultra July 15th at their uh, Way Out West event. So, cool stuff coming up there. So that's going to do it. Uh, let's move on to the questions and wrap this episode up. So a couple quick questions here. Um, Les Commission 7252 said, if New Japan can't have their original format of tag matches in the G1 this year, should they replace it with a C-block miniseries? Wrestlers from a specific faction that wasn't chosen to be in the G1 would fight one another. You can have six to eight people be in it. For example, Hinare, Yujiro, Chase Owens, etc. Uh, no, I don't think the C block should actually be a, a real thing. I think it's good with it being kind of a you know inside joke between some of the wrestlers, and I definitely think that we're we're, we're going to get undercard tags because um, with the schedule, I mean, we have one extra day than usual, so I think we're going to get eleven guys in each block, and some nights we're going to get dual blocks like we got in Super Junior. So that's where. Some of that's going to be made up with the extra um, person there. So I think on nights where it's single blocks, we're, we're going to get undercard tags, but then we're also going to get some nights where it's dual block. Hmm. Do you remember the G2? No, what was the uh, G2? There was a, uh, like a, a, a mini version of like, it was called the G2 U30 climax tournament or something like that it was basically like a a miniature g1 but only for guys under 30 and it was like what year was that like oh three tanahashi won it Mm. i also think they had an all gaijin g1 one time like a like a very small 100 percent gaijin g like miniature block g1 like a single block tournament one time Mm. i think I can't remember who won it, but yeah, they've done some weird stuff like that. But no, I don't think they should do a C block. Yeah. Next, uh, he also asked, what were your thoughts on War Machine's run in 2017? Do you feel they added to the tag division, or were they a bore? I thought War Machine was awesome. They had a lot of uh, really fun matchups. They were definitely um, a great addition in the tag division. Um, you know, tr- you know, the end of 2017, you had them, and Killer Elite Squad, and G.O.D., and... Uh, I'm trying to think, was there other than another team that was um, another team? The only thing that I didn't like about it was that throughout that year, it was them and God and Killer Elite Squad and Killer Elite Squad, and they were all just like fighting each other over, over, and over again, and it just kind of became very repetitive. Aside from that, they were fucking awesome. I mean, like they were. They were so great. And in fact, remember how angry I was that year where they got uh, robbed for tag Tag team of the year. year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was their year. And then the young bucks won just based off of like popularity, but like based off the actual match quality and impact and everything like they, they shouldn't have won that year. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get upset when I think about like what has happened to them since they moved to like WWE. Although I will say, and I'm sure this is like, neither here nor there but i saw this like clip of a match with them and the creed brothers in nxt 2.0 which i was like they're back in 2.0 but whatever 
Um, and it was fucking awesome. <laughs> Dude, the, yeah, the Korean brothers are uh, pretty cool. I mean, I've seen some clips on some of the stuff that they've been doing. Uh, so I can imagine that match was uh, pretty good. But yeah, it's pretty yeah. sad that, yeah, War Machines now, yeah, just wrestling in front of uh, 100 people in uh, the Performance Center. Um, the Dark Soldier had a question. He said, uh, not a question, just a correction from last week's show. During the Jumbo Saruta anniversary show, Shingo was not in the ring with Jake Lee, but rather the champion Carnival 2022 winner, Yuma Aoyagi. They were comparing the size of their dot, dot, dot trophies. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we don't watch all Japan, so I was like, you know. Jake Lee, Aoagi, doesn't matter. The only guy that matters in that company is, uh, you know, uh, Kento Miyahara. Everybody else can't have fought or so. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, Hawaiian <laughs> Punch. No, but seriously, thank you for the uh, correction. The, the reality is, we don't have. I don't have enough time to like watch all Japan or most wrestling that's out there. With all the coverage we do on New Japan, so yeah. <laughs> now, if you guys want to jump in the eighties. And talk some, you know, Jumbo or some Tenru, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hawaiian Punch BB said, thoughts on Anui's uh, demolition job on Daenerys earlier today? Why is Anui both pound-for-pound pound best fighter and the pound-for-pound pound most exciting fighter in boxing? And uh, I also want to point out that I was right last week. I, I think last week I said Devin Haney was going to win the Undisputed Lightweight title. Yeah. He did win it. So... And I also said that I thought it would be a pretty close fight, and I wasn't sure who'd win. It was a pretty close fight, so um, congrats to me. I should probably bet on boxing because I'm I'm right a lot of the time. <laughs> um, yeah, no need to Denaire, one of my favorite fighters of all time. He got demolished today by Anui inside of two rounds. Yeah, this is the second time they've wrestled. They wrestled. They fought and um, unified their their titles. Um, I don't know that I actually think. It, that Anui is the pound for pound, you know, top guy right now. Uh, but he's definitely near the top of the list. I mean, um, Terrence Crawford is up there. Canelo's still up there. Uh, Tyson Fury's up there. Uh, there's a couple other names, but I mean, he's, in my opinion, definitely top three, and he might have made the argument with this victory that he is number one so hard to say but i mean anui is a really really exciting and dynamic fighter that you know knocks people out he, he's an all-action fighter he's great nice let's conclude here with a recommended match of the week uh so last week for the excursion match uh my pick for you to watch was tanahashi and Kento Miyahara versus Jake Lee and Tai Chi from the Cork and Hall 60th anniversary uh, festival. Yeah, so this was a, uh, an interesting one. You know, it was Tanahashi, the ace, uh, former generation in New Japan, teaming up with Kento Miyahara, the current reigning ace of all Japan pro wrestling. And they took on, um, you know, black hat foils in Jake Lee and Tai Chi. And this was kind of shortly just after Tai Chi had won the KOPW title and Jake Lee was sort of, um, I, I can't remember. He'd done something significant in all Japan recently or something like that. But, um, yeah, the one thing I noticed was tight out of everybody that came in with the entrances and they had pretty like elaborate, and cool entrances. Tai Chi sort of stuck out to me as like having star appeal. He didn't seem out of place here whatsoever, which was kind of cool. But, um, 
the match was good. I would say it was very good, but not great. I would probably go sub four stars still. Yeah, but, it, was, it kind of like reminded me of like a fun house show main event. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly how I would describe it. Plus, you know, um, I think a lot of the appeal for the crowd is just the um, allure of seeing Tanahashi and Miyahara team up for first time ever. Um, this is kind of similar to when uh, years ago, when All Japan and New Japan were split, they ran an all-star dream show that included the stars of All Japan and New Japan together for the first time since they both left JWA. And the main event saw the reunion of B Cannon, which was Anoki and Baba, the last time they ever tagged together. And I think they took on Abdul the Butcher and uh, Tiger Jeet Singh. So they took on, you know, you know um, two of the, like, top bad guys from each company. This kind of echoed that a little bit, you know what I mean? Mm. But nobody in either of those cases thought that the heels really stood an actual chance against the superhero good guys here. So um, it was kind of fun, uh, very, you know, fast-paced, good action. Um, I'd still recommend checking it out. I mean, I thought it was very, very, very fun, very, very cool, but it wasn't something that was like blow away or like a match of the year contender. But, um, you know, the optics to seeing Tanahashi and Miyahara take on Jake Lee and Taichi was pretty cool. And I don't have much more to add to that. Just, you know, like you mentioned, a fun kind of like fast paced house show style match. Yeah, it was just all I forget is how over like Miyahara is with his like his whole like, special clap that he has that the crowd does. That was pretty cool. Kenta Miyahara is in fucking incredible. Yeah, we need to, somehow I need to poach him to New Japan. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> uh, then for a recommended match, your pick was uh, Grand Hamada and Kuniaki Kobayashi versus Kentaro Hoshinio and Tiger Mask. Uh, Hoshino. Hoshino from uh, 1983, uh, February. Um, so watch this match this week. And, you know, with pretty much most Tiger Mask matches, like the matches are pretty like fast paced. They're doing a lot of spots and sequences that you would see like in modern day wrestling. So that was uh, pretty cool to see. I thought it was a pretty fast paced uh, match. Uh, there was one spot where Tiger Mask did this amazing diving headbutt like the guy was like halfway across the ring and tiger mask was like leaped across this amazing uh diving headbutt um but i did not understand what the finish was here um so you had uh uh hoshinio uh how do you say his last name hoshino hoshino ended up doing like a big like plancha and then Tiger Mask like did this crazy plancha where like the guy was like in the in the crowd. He did this big plancha and dived on him. Then the ref called the bell. What happened? Oh, 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 okay. It used to be a rule in New Japan that you cannot go into the crowd. If you go into the crowd, you get disqualified. Mm, okay. That was a very regular rule for a long time in the company. So I probably should have like giving you a heads up about that if yeah if you ever watch like pre-90s uh new japan if they go into the crowd that is an automatic dq gotcha i was like yeah well like what i, I rewind it like a couple times like okay like <laughs> did i miss like a low blow like was there, was there a chair shot like what the heck happened 
Uh, well, yeah. the thing that's significant here is Grand Hamada is the he's the father of Lucha Rezu. He's the first individual that ever merged Perezu with Lucha Libre. He's the first guy that like went to Mexico and then brought it back to Japan. Mm. And then it was kind of like the arc, and you could tell by like the speed he wrestled with. He was sort of like the forerunner to what Tiger Mask would become. And then Kobayashi. This is not very far off from the time that Tiger Mask actually leaves New Japan and moves into shoot fighting. So this is like one of the last like major programs he had, and it was with Kobayashi. And him and Kobayashi were like after the Tiger after the Dynamite Kid feud. Kobayashi was like his like main nemesis, mm, you know. Yeah, and so that's kind of like the story here is like Grand Hamada's turned bad. He's with Kobayashi, and they're trying to take down Tiger Mask and. Hoshino sort of like the um, hapless, like underling, like pin eater type of, you know, underdog baby face, you know, accompanying guy with him. Mm. But yeah, it's a really fun uh, matchup here. Um, I mean, for a 1983 match, I mean, it had the, the pa- it had the pacing of a 2022 match and. Some of like the springboard cross body spots and Tiger Mask with his like Pele kicks and just some of the spots these guys are doing with that headbutt I mentioned. Like, yeah, it's a fun matchup. One thing too that was really fun is Hoshino, he's kind of like got a, a stocky build and he just like at one point just is gets fed up and just starts punching the shit out of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that becomes pretty cool too. <laughs> so yeah, if you guys have never seen it, this match is pretty awesome. And then for this week, so I got the recommended match. And so we're going to go back to Dominion, June 18th of 2011. The main event, the IWGP heavyweight title match, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, defending against Hiroki Goto. So give you a little preview for uh, Dominion coming up this Sunday. Yeah, when I saw that you were recommending that, I was like... uh... I was like, I went and I looked. I was like, I'm pretty sure we've re- reviewed this. I was hoping that we might have already reviewed it so I don't have to watch another Goto and, <laughs> and Tanahashi match. But we have not re- reviewed it before. So I do think uh, I think this is the best match they've ever had, though, yeah, if I recall. Looking on Cage, I think this will one of the, yeah, one of their better ones, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, they've had some... Oh, they've had some good to like semi great matches uh, in the past like six or seven years, but like really the last time they had a truly blow away match was like 2012. Everything prior to 2012 is like pretty from like 2010 to 2012 is like outstanding, and this is right in the middle of that. I think this this is for the IWGB title, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I think Goto had beaten him earlier that year in the New Japan Cup, and then. You know, that kind of, like, was the... Now, now like, Tanahashi's got the, the belt again, and, you know, Goto wants a shot at it. I think that this is, like, their best match, if I recall. Nice. So what you got for Excursion Match of the Week? Actually, I'm looking online, and yes, this is the highest-rated match that they ever had against one another. So um, that that is saying something. Um, my recommended match of the week is the tag team epic between Aussie Open and the Velocities from Rev Pro Epic Encounter 2022. 
Nice. I've been hearing great things about that matchup and just the rivalry between Aussie Open and the Velocity. So, yeah, they had a really great match from PWA at the tail end of last year, but because Aussie Open had not made their debut in New Japan yet, that's not going to make the cutoff for recommended match of the week, but apparently that match is even better than this one. So if you haven't seen it, maybe check that out too. But not you, but like, you know, the audience. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, or, or whoever, whatever. Yeah. So that, that should be uh, fun. Definitely end up being a contender for excursion match of the week. Well, that's going to wrap things up for us here this week. Next week, we'll be back to review Dominion. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan and the network at Social Suplex. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash social suplex. Also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle. Also follow us on Instagram at social suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all our other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin, the AEW Match Guide podcast hosted by Sir Sam, the great match generator hosted by Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's you, Bon. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 